To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick Stutt Double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. <laughs> Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> My hands are registered as lethal weapons. We get into a fight, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. Thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Like you. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the TV Zone Podcast Movie Edition. I'm your host, Jay, and joining me for this episode is Chantel and Christian. Guys, how you doing? Hey, all right, awesome. Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, and for this episode, we will be talking about the ninth film from one Mr. Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, uh, guys, uh, right off the bat, uh, your initial thoughts about this film, starting with you, Christian. All right, so walking out of the theater, I really liked it. But I didn't feel like I fully took it in. Um, and it's because, like, when you're watching it the first time, you kind of just sit there wondering where it's going. Like, what's always happening in front of you is never boring. It's always either funny or weird. or But also, like, you take in all the scenery, which I don't know how Quentin Tarantino pulled this off. Like, it looks like they traveled back in fucking time. Like, I don't, yeah, it's really impressive. Um, But then I saw it a second time, and, like, you really, like, you really see how all of the dots, like, actually connect. And, like, because, well, walking out of it, some, like, I went with, like, a couple of people, and we all liked it except for one of us. And he was like, what was that even about? And, like, I sat on the movie for, like, a week before I saw it again, and I thought to myself, well, what was Pulp Fiction really about? Like, what, like, it's basically, this movie is like Quentin Tarantino's love letter to an era that he clearly cherishes, and it's told through the eyes of two people struggling to make it, 
but it's also about the end of an era and how, you know, movies and entertainment pretty much changed at the turn of the 70s. So, yeah, I think I, I now see it as more of a masterpiece. I don't know how I rank it among his other movies, but I do think it's great. Uh, Chantel? Oh, yeah. Too enthusiastic thumbs up. Fine holiday fun. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? That's what we're going. Well, you know, I'm going to put you on blast here. So, uh, yeah, so I saw it once uh, by myself. And then the second time, I went with you and uh, you know, your beau or whatnot. And, uh, yeah, you didn't care for so much. Hands, like, Christian, like you said, your friend didn't know what this shit was about. It doesn't have to be about anything to be good, but Hands. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Hands was not getting it. What were you saying, Jay? No, I was going to put you on blast and say, you know, for a good uh, 40 minutes of the movie, uh, you fell asleep. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I do that. Like, once I get into a nice, dark, cool room and I haven't slept in a long time, it just takes over me and I can't. It's really difficult sometimes, isn't it? Like, I I went to see this movie and it's really excellent. I know nobody's probably heard of it. It's called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's really yeah. unique. And I, I dozed off because I was hungover. <laughs> and I felt bad because it was really good. I dozed off for maybe like five minutes. Not 30, though. Shame. Well, you would think with the speakers being so loud, it would be impossible. Exactly. And, but somehow she did it. She <laughs> did, did. I was fighting so hard, though. And Hans, like, um, he made me coffee before we went out. It literally made no fucking difference. It, it's, 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 it works like that. I know. I'm scheduled to see a movie this week called The Farewell for nothing but great things, but I'm trying to make sure that when I go, I'm alert because <laughs> I really don't want to doze off. It's just difficult. They they get you there. It's nice and comfortable, cool, dark, loud, but well, not quite loud enough. From what I did see, it was it was fun, and I'm sure it's got a good replay value because it jumps around so much. I like when movies do that. It becomes kind of like an Odyssey kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I, I like how the transitions of, okay, what's going on with Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, but then also you got Rick Dalton on the set of these Western shows and everything. So you, you, always, mm-hmm. you got like a, you have a movie or a TV show within the movie going on. So and all got, of those were flawless. Like every movie within the movie yeah. was, I don't, it looked like a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Honest to God. Yeah. It was crazy. It just shows like how much, like I imagine that a lot of, the movies from that time period fuel him, and that's why he felt the need to make one about all of them. I mean, he's got Bruce fucking Lee as a character in this thing. Which we talk about him. Yes, I figured we would. <laughs> I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, I, I I love it more the more I think about it. Yeah. So, um, real quick. So, of course, with a Quentin Tarantino film, we got to talk about this cast. So. Uh, let me just run through the main cast because this thing is littered with people all over it. But I'm gonna yep. keep it to a minimum of the people that's in it. Um, so of course we have Leonardo DiCaprio as Rick Dalton, uh, Brad Pitt as Cliff Booth, Margot Margo Robbie as Sharon Tate, Emil Hirsch. Haven't heard that name in anything in a long time. That's what um, I was thinking. 
<laughs> as a JC Bream, uh, Marguerite Quallery as Pussycat, uh, Timothy Oliphant as Jane Stacy, and introducing Julie Butters as Trudy, uh, Austin Butler as Tex, Dakota Fanning as Squeaky, Bruce Dern as George Spann, uh, Mike Moe as Bruce Lee, the late Luke Perry as Wayne Munder, Damian Lewis as uh, Steve McQueen, and Al Pacino as Marvin Swartz. Not Swartz, but Swartz. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I kind of had to throw it in oh, with his accent. I know, yeah. I would like to say, real quick, this is just a random note, but right. Austin Butler is playing Elvis. And this news is as yeah. real as a dumb motherfucker. Yeah, and I mean, we already had an Elvis in this movie played by, and because I didn't mention him, is he has one scene and he actually narrates the movie. I'm talking about one, the great Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, yeah. So, so he actually did a good Elvis. If you ever seen his Elvis uh, performance in the movie Elvis, directed I'm by one with Jonathan Reese Myers, and he actually kind of looks like Elvis a lot. I didn't think he would, but he does. But it's still kind of a stupid movie. I'm sure. <laughs> and Kurt Russell was also in a... He was in a movie with Elvis. He's the little kid that actually kicks Elvis. Jonathan Reese Myers? No, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. I thought you were talking about 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Oh, Which I also thought you were talking that about. That movie sucks. No. But... But that's why that. they but that's why they have that scene in 3,000 Miles to Graceland because the kid runs up and kicks him but, oh. you know, yeah, because you know people kind of forget that Kurt Russell actually was a child star. I had I no idea. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I guess learn something new every day. Because I mean, his dad was an actor. Uh, Bing Russell, his, his dad was an actor. You know, from back in the day, and then he came up through the you know the studio system. You could almost say that he's like a Julie Butters character, Trudy, in a way, like as a child uh-huh. star. Oh, but man. she is terrific, by yeah, the way. She, yeah, she, she, she really is. Yeah. Yeah. Even though she has a small part, essentially, but it's uh, a memorable part. I guess I missed that part because I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she did. You were asleep. Well, who is she? Is, she's the little girl when that's on the um, that Lancer no, show. I did see this part with this little girl. It reminds me of Haley Steinfeld and True Great, where she's sitting in a, a chair reading a yes, book. That's her. That's her. So is that the only part she was in when they were well, talking? Then, well, she well she's in that scene and then the scene within the show when they're actually doing the um the episode and that's when Luke Perry shows up. So you probably miss Luke Perry. Okay. She's kind no. of there to be Rick Dalton's motivation, yeah. especially right. since he's so down on his luck and you know uninspired and drunk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what are we gonna talk about? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It's good um, shit. But uh, like I said, in true uh, Quentin Tarantino fashion, uh, he always, some way, somehow, get like these casts that is like, how do you get these people in in your movies? Because you, I mean, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, he they have been in Tarantino movies before, so you you get them being there. But for the most part. Everybody else here, with the exception of like Zoe Bell, who shows up for a quick second, Kurt Russell shows up. The, none of these people have been in Tarantino movies, but it's a great freaking cast. Um, it is. 
how, how do you guys feel about like the casting of everyone here? Um, starting with you, Chantel. Perfecto. Perfecto. Um, I, I don't know. I can't think of any other movies. Just how many uh, Tarantino movies has Leo done? Just one other than this? Yeah. Yeah, he was in Django. Yeah, I, that's the one I was thinking. And Brad Pitt is only done in Glorious well, Bastards. Well, he counts the romance. Yeah, so. technically, yeah. So, because Tarantino did write True Romance, but he didn't direct it. But yeah, he he was in that too. So, hmm. so do you think that in this scenario, Leo is supposed to be the star? Assuming that you know there was ever you know uh, this well, ever went to the Oscars, he would be I the one know. for best. I, 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 I look at it like this because I remember I told you Chantel when they were showing the previews when they showed the preview for um, about Mister Mister Rogers or whatnot I said you can put a you can mark it in permanent marker that freaking um, Tom Hanks is gonna win the Oscar for that best actor he gonna win that I'm, I'm saying that right now so yeah. I can I'm, see it and I'm so excited for it it's so, the same director as Can He Ever Forgive Me. And I'm excited. And plus, I mean, who better than Tom Hanks? But, exactly. Hey, so, yeah. I mean, so if anything, you put Leo in the best actor category with Tom Hanks, and you put Brad Pitt in best supporting actor, even though he is a support, but he gets a lot of freaking screen time. Now, I might have to go back and look at it, but I think they kind of get equal screen time in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you put him in best supporting actor to give him a better chance to win the Oscar. Exactly. They're actually already talking about that. So I've read because I'm like Brad Pitt should be a shoe in for that, and he's apparently like not letting his ego get in the way, and he's happily taking a best supporting actor slot as he should. Yeah, I yeah. mean, makes it easier. Why would the two of them want to compete against each other? Compete like, and lose to Tom Hanks. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Look, Leo already, you know, he crawled through snow. He came back from the dead. He got mauled by a bear to win his Oscar. So I think he's happy. He'll win in another 20 years again, but not right now. Yeah, but, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's got away. Oh, well, you never know, though. Robert De Niro could make a could make a splash. I'm really excited for that. We'll see. Uh, like I said, Tom Hanks. You say Robert De Niro? Yes, for the Irishman. For the what? For the Irishman. Oh right, right. You know where they they they, they de-age him? You know, like thirty years or what? No, I haven't actually seen the trailer yet. Christian told me about it. Oh yes, first <laughs> collaboration with. Scorsese since Casino. This is wow. exciting news, and they, people. And they freaking brought, I mean, the biggest news is that freaking Joe Pesci is back. Joe That's Pesci. I know. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Imagine him in a Tarantino movie. Good lord. Oh my god. Who, who better to handle Tarantino's dialogue? <laughs> really? That sounds great. <laughs> but, uh, um, Christian, uh, like, what do you think about the, uh, the cast here? I, you know, I, I followed this movie as soon as it was announced because I'm one of those people who, anytime Quentin Tarantino's name is on a movie, I'm like, uh, yeah. So, um, I pretty much followed the IMDb page as they were casting everybody, and I was like, 
who the hell is gonna play like what the hell is Dakota Fanning doing in this shit? <laughs> and, you know, I like I actually thought she was good in it. I hate her. I know Chantel does, <laughs> um, but I I thought she played that role briefly, but very well. How do you um, know? How do we know what Squeaky was like? I don't fucking know. I know, but I mean, like, it's still the character makes somewhat of an impact. And I kind of missed her part. I I woke up and uh, the last thing I remember hearing before I passed out was she's talking about fucking Bruce Dern. Was that right? Yeah. Well, we don't know it's Bruce Dern at that point, but yeah. Okay, well, then I saw him, and I was like, gross. And then I, that was, like, the last thing I remember before I came to. But that was, yeah, okay. So that actually happened then. So, 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 you so, were so asleep real... during the Spawn Ranch yeah, portion? Yeah, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. yeah. Yep, but uh, real oh quick. Oh, my that's fucking it. God. Well, what did I miss? What was so fucking special? It's so unsettling. It's pretty... You told me to look out for that fight. I looked out for the fight. I remember that. And then I fell asleep. It's filled with tension. It's t- because it okay, is. The first time I saw it, right, and Christian, you probably can kind of agree with this. The first time watching that scene, I'm like, holy shit, they're going to kill Brad Pitt in this, in this scene. <laughs> that's what I'm that's what Exactly. I was after reading his ass. And he is out of this. I was so you know he's gonna pass. And like you, it's like what you know, but also like you don't know what they're exactly. capable of at that point. Like yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really like there's so much tension. I expected him to like turn around and get like stabbed in the face or something. Oh, shot, oh, shot in the yeah, face. Well, you've I seen that burn after reading. So. Exactly. <laughs> Why though was he unwelcome there? Yeah. Why? Especially when he started que- he started questioning them. He's uh, because- friends with jo- or he used to uh, they used to shoot bounty law at Spawn Ranch, and he's asking them questions about George, the owner of the ranch, and they're all like, "Oh, he's taking a nap. He does he can't be disturbed." Like they're acting like really suspicious. But the genius of that sequence is that everything they're actually saying is true. Mm-hmm. They're just fucking weird. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, as you're watching it, you're like, no, George is probably in there dead. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> if, if he's even there. And if you go in that house, you're going to end up dead, too. So it, it's just like a real tension-building scene that actually ends in a just kind of like, huh, a relie- you're relieved when yeah. he actually drove away. Because you're thinking that Tex is going to show up and him and Tex going to get into it. But when Tech shows up on the horse, he's driving away already. Now, he did beat the shit out of somebody. What was that all about? I looked away during that uh, part because it was bloody. That was, that was because when he, after he goes in there, has a talk with George, and he leaves, and uh, Pussycat and the rest of the girls is basically talking shit to him the whole time he's walking towards the car. He realized that uh, the kind of goofy-looking hippie dude then flattened the tire. So that's what he get pissed about. He was like, this isn't my car. It's my boss's car. And if anything happens to it, I'm responsible. So it's a good thing for you. He got a spare tire. So he gets the spare tire out. He gets out the tools and everything. He's like, fix it. And then dude's like, fuck you. You know what I'm saying? That's when he knock his ass. That's exactly how it goes. That's how it goes. So. Oh, are we advising a spoiler? Oh, post it. Um, 
I I will say I really like her name is Margaret Quayley. Which, I think. uh, yeah, um, number one, she is probably is she the weird-looking Asian-looking. No, she. No, the, she. The younger. She plays Pussy Cat. Yeah. I don't know Pussy Cat either. That's the young, She's the, the one who one. rides with Brad Pitt. Like you see her like three different times. She's also on Fosse Verdon. I'm pretty R.I.P. That outcast. Um, but she, uh, she was. I'm pretty sure she was. She was in Bob the Mistress. She, she played on the leftovers as well. Oh yeah, I need to watch that. Um, she's and also Andy McDowell's daughter. Very natural presence. Well, she looks just like a mom. I I don't like sometimes see and I just got that vibe from her. I don't. I thought she was okay. good. Yeah, I see a picture here of her in a car with her feet on the dashboard. God, it was like a foot fest. Oh, it just went off. It just went off the rails. Chantel was just talking trash about Pulp Fiction and and all this stuff. But um, I just saying it's overrated. Hands. No, he doesn't believe me. I am alone. Yes, you yeah, are. Yeah, it's yeah, a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Forrest Gump. It was, that's the thing about the Academy Awards, though. It's not fair, because sometimes you have years that are jam-packed, and then you have years where Bohemian Rhapsody is considered one of the the year. So we won't go there again. But, yeah, that's just the way it works. And it, just to, just to it imagine, doesn't. Just but, imagine that you could have had John Travolta play Forrest Gump. <laughs> was that really a thing? Yeah, it, it was. It was really a... so. He was in the right movie that came out. I don't. He was. I, I, I hear weird shit all the time about casting choices. Like apparently Nicolas Cage was supposed to play Aragorn. They have to say most. <laughs> weird. That is fucking weird. Well, he was supposed. To, he was supposed to play Superman too. Yeah, he was supposed yeah. to play a lot of things that I find are very odd choices. But I don't know. Maybe people felt differently about Nicolas Cage back in 2002 or whatever. They did. He was he did good movies back then. Yeah, I mean he is an Oscar winner, so let's not forget that. Yeah, I don't. I, I still have faith. I do too. But, uh, I don't think it's true. Since, since we're on the topic of talking about Quentin Tarantino, um, I guess we already know Chantel hates his guts and you know doesn't like any of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um. I feel like okay, even though this clearly, is, yeah, it, it's crazy that this is his ninth film in what twenty some odd years here, uh, what twenty seven yeah. years I believe. Um, mm-hmm. like how how do you guys feel about where like where he started as a director to where he is now with his ninth film? What was his first film? Reservoir Dogs. Really. Wow, it's a pretty big impact for him. I know, right? He's always been on fucking fire. Um, I'll say, okay, his his work in the '90s is vastly different from his work after that, except for this movie. I will say this is him going back to his roots a bit. It is more Pulp Fiction esque. I've I've always loved whatever he's brought. Honestly, I, I have. I 
think he is really in love with um, Sons, and he takes them and he reinvents them yeah. in really hilariously creative ways. I, I, yeah, I've always went for it. So, uh, Shanto? Oh. Why are you what was the question? We're talking about Quentin Tarantino. What was the question? We're talking about Quentin Tarantino overall. Like, what do you think about his growth as a director? I think I prefer his later movies to his more recent ones for obvious reasons. I mean, to his, you know, latter ones. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I prefer his more recent movies to his, you know, early ones. ones. Yeah, early ones because they're less violent. Like, Django and Shane. Django is less violent. Yeah, yeah, but it's not like. <laughs> and Glorious Bastards is less violent. And there's nothing in there. They're not all violent throughout. I think they're kill a bit. Oh. I'm talking like, you know. Well, you can watch Jackie shit. Brown, then. There is zero well, violence in that movie. Really? Yeah. You should, you should watch Jackie Brown. It's mostly just talking. See, maybe not the this one, Django and Glorious, which is probably his most violent movies. <laughs> we, For really whatever reason. What? Are those his most violent movies? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. Well, volume one. Well, to be honest, I've probably seen Pulp Fiction once ten years ago. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think it's time for a reboot. I don't even know if I watched. Them. It is. It's a... Okay, but then somebody's gonna have to sit down with me and go through it, like, every fucking part of me to watch out for. It's really just not worth it. There's really not that much violence in it. Okay, but after I saw the guy's head explode, I was like, no, That's the only part. I just need to get Joshua Bolton sitting on a toilet. I remember that part. It's not very violent, though. I didn't expect it. It's not a Quentin Tarantino Level of gore. Well, you do see. Okay. Well, Marvin getting shot in the face is pretty much the worst deal in it. Well, yeah, you do see Ving Rhames get raped. (laughs) You do see Ving Rhames get raped, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And after you see it, you can't unsee it. Please. Um, well, that doesn't offend me so much. Well, and there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a dude in a gimp <laughs> outfit. And, uh, yeah, I'm kind of fucked up. So I think we should kind of talk about the movie here a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so the movie opens with uh, this whole bounty law opening of the old Western show that um, Rick Dalton stars on. Um, what do you guys think about this opening and how it introduced, you know, his introduction to the movie and everything. Uh, Start with you, Shanta. That's supposed to be spoofing something? Well, yeah, the old shows from, like, the 50s, like, um, like, Gunsmoke and, um, uh, what's the other one? Um, the Rifleman and, like, all them old Bananas. Like, that's yeah, pretty Bananas. funny, I guess. I mean, I wouldn't watch it. I mean, if you turn, it, look, if you if you get up early, like, on Saturday early whatnot flip over to amc you'll see uh, the rifleman it's basically the same music too from the rifleman on that they use for bounty law so 
it's just like those shows from back at that time. So is he currently doing this TV show at the time that the movie's being made, or is it a thing of the past? It's a thing of the past. Yeah, I I believe this is supposed to be like late 50s when that show is supposed to be. So whenever he shows up with Brad Pitt to do filming, that's not for that show? No. Because it looks like he's walking around a saloon-type set. So basically, Rick Dalton at that point in time, has the, the show's been canceled, and basically he's taking on a bunch of guest spots as villains. And that's what Al Pacino is telling him, like, if he keeps doing these one-bit villainous roles, then he will officially, like, turn into a has-been. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember that part, yes. Which, I, which, for some reason, I felt like that was supposed to be, like, a thing about Lee Van Cleef for some reason. I don't know why that's the first person uh, came to mind. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. Especially with the whole thing, go to Italy and, you know, Spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, I feel like, hmm. Kind of like him and Clint Eastwood. You have to think, Quentin Tarantino had so much fun writing this thing. It was the movie he was born, he was born to make. Like. Well, you, you know, you know that he originally started writing this as a novel. I did not know that. Yeah. But. He started writing as a novel. And then at some point he was like, uh, I think it works better as a screenplay. (laughs) <laughs> wow, I would love to read it as a book. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. Um, actually, I think it's over to you about the uh, like the introduction to the movie with Bounty Law, like starting off the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, like with a lot of um, kind of like what a lot of Quentin Tarantino has been doing since like Kill Bill, you get a very homage sort of vibe from the opening. And it yeah. does kind of set the tone for the rest of the movie because it's basically, you know, Quentin Tarantino displaying his love for these movies and shows yeah. for nearly three hours. And hey, it's it's a blast for all three hours of it. So <laughs> it, it it really is. Um, I, I thought it was funny too having uh freaking James Remar show up in one of the <laughs> spots and. And then Michael Madsen, who just yeah, he'll happen to his voice. Jesus Christ, the man sounds. Like I he know too it, many damn cigarettes. It's really uh, strange. He, listen, if you go back and you look at him like in the early '90s, he sounded cool. And you, you, now he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he is. I noticed he was like that throughout the Hateful Eight, and. I was like, is he doing that on purpose? Or have I just not, <laughs> not heard his voice sound. in so long? Or That's how you sound now. Yeah, that's how he sound. Yeah. He needs a throat lodger to something. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Damn, man. Because uh, I, I, I watched Species not too long ago. Um, Me too! <laughs> and I was like, yeah. it's like, and that he's like, like whispering or whatnot, but he had this soft voice, and then it's like, now it's like, Argh. I was shocked. I was like, my god, he looks so good. What the fuck? Like, it's like, yeah, no, I, and, yeah, his voice, too, of course, but. It's like, I don't know what happened to him. He, 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 I don't know, he didn't, he didn't age well, or whatnot. No, but, uh, I'm sure Tom Sizemore didn't either. Jesus Christ, Tom Sizemore. <laughs> <laughs> I bring that up. You only brought that up because of Polly Shore's <laughs> That's exactly why. <laughs> but, what's funny about it? Tom Sizemore is kind of like the poor man's Michael Mass. He is. Exactly. <laughs> Have you seen that movie, Jay? 
<laughs> Which one? Polly Shore is dead. No, no, I haven't, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> There's this part where um, somebody comes up to Tom Sizemore and they're like, weren't you like busted with a bunch of drugs or something lately? And he was like, no, that was Michael Madsen. And that's pretty well, much the beginning. The girl's like, she says to Tom Sizemore, aren't you that creepy guy that's in all those movies? Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was Michael oh, Madsen. It's true. They're like the same person, but not true. <laughs> I always said that, I mean, in, let's see, two roles that Michael Madsen should have played, that Tom Sizemore played, was in Natural Born Killers and in True Romance. <laughs> but, but Tom Sizemore played those roles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like the whole bounty law thing. Um, and like how, because I felt like yeah. the too, it, it sets the tone for the movie that mm-hmm. what we're about to see basically is not you know true to life you know what that's what i especially after watching it the second mm-hmm. time i kind of got that vibe from um so uh as we watch this movie or whatnot and especially particularly the character of rick dalton and how he's portrayed throughout did either one of you get the feeling like of any older actors that you might know of that you could feel like rick dalton was supposed to be like based around yeah i'm kind of with her there i was really trying to think of who he reminded me of and i was just kind of drawing a blank but it's really sad like because i watched this movie the other day with rock hudson in it called seconds and i was like what the hell did he do after the 60s and a lot of these people just fucking they either vanish or he died well yeah he died in the 80s but I mean, like, what about the seventies? He like just did nothing besides. Well, I'm sure he did something, but I won't share what that is. Um, oh, <laughs> but that's probably why. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. I know. Uh, there with other actors, though. I mean, the same thing can be said for Anthony Perkins, Cary Grant. Yeah, exactly. Cary Grant retired. You know, he, he retired he? in nineteen. Yeah, he retired in nineteen sixty-six. Who? He couldn't have been that old. Oh, yeah. Well, he was like in his fifties, I think. He's not old enough to retire. I'll tell you <laughs> what really displayed this well. Um, I don't know. I know. I'm pretty sure Chantal watched it, but Feud, Betty and Joan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, that really covered the topic of has-beens well, because you see what. Um, Joan Crawford is doing in the 70s and she's doing some like B-horror movie with like an ape and you're just like, how the fuck does an Oscar winner end up doing this sort of thing? Well, it's, a lot of them did it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm assuming know. that's what Rock Hudson was doing besides you know. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, look at, look at if you look up uh, Keenan Wynn I mean, he was a, you know big name like in the 50s and 60s or whatnot then come the late 70s or whatnot he's in freaking well i think it was an earthquake and he was in piranha and all these other like trailer trash movies mm-hmm. or whatnot. it's like what the hell is he doing it's here? true so it's like same thing with peter cushions i mean peter cushions outside of mm-hmm. outside of star wars you look at everything he did you know around like star wars is like his last yeah movie glorious moment but everything around that is just trash for the most part 
Yeah, it's it's weird how it works. For some people's careers don't take off until they get old. <laughs> yeah. Like, think about, I mean, think about, like, Jessica Tandy, for example. Like, mind you, she I'm pretty sure she always did, like, Broadway or something. I don't think she had, like, an actual major movie role until Driving Miss Daisy when she yeah. was, like, 85. Like, yeah. it's just weird to think about. I don't know. Well, I mean, look at, look at Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, yeah. No, I know. I really need him to do something that's worth a fuck. It's been a long time. Um, he needs to do another Clint Eastwood movie, basically. But uh, well, without Clint Eastwood, because Clint he sounds like Michael Madsen. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine the two of them in a movie together? Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> Subtitles the whole time. Oh, that's terrible. Um, but no. Uh, let's see. When I was watching it, I kind of got the. I got like a little Clint Eastwood vibe. I got um some Jan Michael Vincent vibe, especially with the whole being a washed up actor at an early age because of drinking and whatever. Um, and then also some Lee Van Cleef, mm-hmm. um, and then like a couple other people from that time period too that you kind of just uh, also well Errol Flynn. I mean he was notorious known for drinking and yeah stuff like that and things of that nature. So you, there was like some cause I put it like this I, I don't know exactly how old Rick Dalton is supposed to be, um, but I, I always like okay well, I think he's supposed to be at least thirty five maybe. Or whatnot, and I'm like, can you really be considered a washed up actor at 35 if you're right. continuously working? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Are you really washed up? Well, yeah. I'll, uh, I read because I've been reading up on a bunch of articles about it too. Uh, Bruce Stern said that he really related to Rick Dalton, uh, and he said that he's been there because he like started out pretty much doing all of these guest spots. Yeah. on old shows that, you know, most of us probably haven't even fucking heard of. And, like, he probably was afraid that, you know, he wasn't going to take off. And honestly, he's another one of those who's, like, I mean, he's been around for a long time, but at the same time, like, I don't think his career honestly took off until Nebraska. <laughs> well, uh, no, I mean... I know he was in I'm Coming not... Home, which is a great... Yeah. Yeah, he was but... in there, but I I remember I used to watch um, for some reason I used to watch a lot of westerns when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the reason why I do love westerns the way I do. But um, I remember watching uh, these James Garner movies called uh, like the Support Your Local Gunslinger and the Support Your Local, mm-hmm. and he was in those movies. Yeah, I, I remember seeing him in them, and then of course he always just, like randomly show up in some movie or something. Uh, one of my favorite movies, even though the movie don't make no damn sense, but um, he was in... No, no, that wasn't him. I don't know. How the hell did I just confuse Bruce <laughs> with Harry Dean Stanton? Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> but but he, No, I was going to say him too, Harry Dean Stanton. He's another one. He's, I mean, he was in a lot of stuff before Alien, but 
mm-hmm. and that's where it really kicks off for him and he's like exactly all they really need something. is just like one movie and they're in like Did they're in the 80s because my favorite movie of his was the burbs yeah he was i love him in the burbs that movie is crazy <laughs> you know what? i would say they should they should kind of remake that but yeah, still keep fine. the same type of the same type of you know I, I know they probably would change it like crazy but if they could keep the same kind of vibe that that movie had. <laughs> I like that movie. It's Yeah, it's good. Um, he has a very distinct look. And, and it too. fits for most <laughs> movies he's in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, he was great in uh, Hate for Eight. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Even, though you, even though you're not supposed to like it, but... Okay, I didn't see that Is that another movie of his that's like more violent just towards the end, or no? I'd say yeah, so. I don't think it movie, really... Yeah. I think once they vomit up blood, you can <laughs> <probably> just... Um, <laughs> Is that towards the end, then, or no? Uh, that's more like an hour and a half. That's the intermission part. part. <laughs> hour and a half? Yeah. That's the intermission part, yeah. Okay. Well, how long is the movie? Is it three fucking hours? Yeah. Oh, man. Just about, I mean, when they... Sh- I have to let it go. They sh- they played it as like a road show uh, drive-in type movie on 70 millimeter, and yeah. that part of the movie is actually the intermission. Like after that part happens, it goes to intermission. Oh, it's so back. awesome! I wish yeah. I could have seen it like that. That it like there's only there's only one freaking drive drive-in that's here, and it's in freaking Lake Worth, which is far as hell away from here. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so. Uh, reminiscing about good. And actually, wait, did when you did you see Hate Play um in theaters? I did. Yes, but I did, did you get see the road show. The book? No, I'm saying, but did you get the book because they gave the books out? No, I didn't get no fucking okay. book. I hate living around here. My God. <laughs> yeah, because no, you no, don't get shit. It, yeah, after after we done here, I'm gonna have to get it. And I'm gonna take a picture so you so y'all can see it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean he. Okay, well, yeah, who was talking about? We were talking about like old actors and everything like that. Yes. Um, that Rick Dalton could have been or whatnot. But um, but yeah. Uh, so basically, we we kind of figured that some of these actors or whatnot he kind of resonated with some of these older guys. Um. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh. Okay, so how do you guys feel about how the film pays homage to? I mean, not only to old Hollywood, but Tarantino, he does this thing where he pays a lot of respect to the people behind the scenes, and in particular, once again, to the stuntmen with Cliff's stuntmen. character. Yeah. Uh, well, it's because I didn't know anything about this kind of shit. I don't know anything about stuntmen or whatever. So it was nice to see something like that. Okay. One thing I will say, I did notice the appearance of Zoe Bell. Um, as you know, a stuntman's wife, and it's funny because she herself is a stuntwoman. I didn't know she was Australian after I saw her in Whip It. She's not Australian, so she's not Zealand. She's New Zealand, and don't get that confused, or you could get your ass whooped. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's a reference to Death Proof. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I ever saw her in. But she was, uh, she, she was Uma Thurman's 
stuff. I know who she is. I remember, um, because I've seen the clip a few times when I was high, and it's that clip where Tarantino's, like, wasted or high or something, and he's, they're on the stage accepting an award, and, do you remember this? this no, I'm, 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 I'm trying to imagine this. And he's like, so Christian, you know what I'm talking about? And she's on the stage with him, and Uma Thurman's on the stage, and they're accepting something. And he's, I don't know, it's so hard to explain. This is probably, he's, like, best fight at the MTV Music. It, I think it was. <laughs> that said, he would show up to that. He and literally he, is making no sense whatsoever whenever he's talking. And I'm pretty sure he was fucked up. So, <laughs> after I saw her on the stage, I, I recognized her. Because then when I was watching Whip It, somebody told me that she this is stunt woman, which none of this matters to me because I've never seen, you know, Kill Bill, but I still know who she is. Uh, she was, I mean, she was uh, Lucy Lawless, a uh, stunt uh, woman as well for Xena Warrior Princess. That's she where she got, really got her. Pretty old. She got her she was, no, she was in her. She was in her twenties at that point. She's huh. really good at what she does. I would you say what? that judging off of Kill Bill Volume One alone? Did she do like um, contortion and shit or acrobatics? Lots. She of did the whole damn. That is really her on the car in Death Proof. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is in, her. In what? Death Proof. The yeah, we know it's, she hasn't it's... seen that. Oh my god. Okay, that's his. Okay, that that might be his. After Jackie Brown, that might be his least violent movie. I mean, there's only it really is. Yeah. Two, there's only two scenes in there that's really violent. Oh. there's only two. Is that the one where Rose McGowan has a weird gun leg or whatever? No, so no, that's Planet Terror. Yeah, you're on the right track. So they yeah. Robert Rodriguez did that one. That was called Planet Terror, and then Quentin Tarantino did Death Proof. That was with Kurt Russell, and I noticed that Kurt Russell was playing. A stuntman in this movie as well. Stuntman Bob? Yes. And I kept thinking to myself, I was like, I hope that he mentions that he has a son named Mike or something. This way it's really all in the same universe. But I did not get my wish. Um, no. Oh, yes. That, was, that, that scene is priceless, though. It is. It is. Oh, man. But, um, but yeah, I mean... He he does it a little bit with uh, stuntman Mike and Death Proof, even though Mike is a psycho um, or whatnot. But with this, you really kind of get more of an appreciation for like stunt people and what they do. Because once upon a time, of course, before CGI and all that crap, you did have people, you know, literally throwing themselves off of buildings. Mm-hmm. Jackie, Jackie Chan is his own stuntman, but... Which is um, insane. Yeah, at his age, yeah. still he's still doing it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he not, he not jumping off buildings. Anymore. Probably not. But he, I he'll mean, still fall yeah. off a ladder for you. Still <laughs> doing, you know, more than most of us would want to do. So. Yeah, in his late sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I I I did like how they had a, you know, he he kind of paid respects to these people who were actually you know doing this stuff once upon a time. You know, and and everything like that. I I don't know about you guys, but I I enjoyed that. I do too, uh, and I I think he does them even more justice by making the coolest character in this movie a stuntman. Because you know what, what they do is pretty cool. I wouldn't do it, but I, I think he he has a, a certain appreciation for it for sure. Yeah. And 
I mean, I'll, I'll probably say next to you know special makeup effects people, not CGI, but actual people uh-huh. did the, you know, like stunt Rick people. Baker. Rick Baker, Stan Winston, Tom Savini, mm-hmm. Rob Bottin. Hell, like I said, I know all these freaking people, but it, yeah. they made classic, you know, special makeup effects and CGI can't can't even replicate what they did. Exactly, you know, you know that was a time when movies actually require. Um, I don't know. Um, effort and yeah. yeah. Anybody look. Anybody can sit on a damn computer and go click, click, click. Exactly. Exactly. Wait, Rick Baker wait. does. Like I saw the new Men in Black movie, and they looked worse. <laughs> yeah, see? I Rick. Yep. Like I, I thought they looked worse than they did when Rick Baker was in business, but he's um, retired, he's sitting on his eight Oscars. As he should. He, he's, he's retired. Tom Savini has a, um, a a school that he teaches and everything. And you know, Stan Winston, of course, passed away. But, yeah. Um, oh, he's great too. I don't, I don't know what the hell Rob Bottin is doing right now. Uh, Greg Nicotero has become a director. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. I mean, he he does most of uh, the Walking Dead. So mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's what he is now. But it's like. Outside of you know The Walking Dead, you don't really get a lot of true, you know, special makeup effects. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's so, probably true. Yeah, which is sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but like I say, this I, I, that was one of the biggest things about this movie I liked that he paid like respect to the people behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Chantel, any thoughts about that or no? About what? Ah, there you go. Um, <laughs> um, did you hit slap right. because I don't know what you're talking about? Oh, she didn't get cracked. I was spacing out. Yeah, you Sorry. fell asleep for forty minutes. Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> but um, all right. So okay, kind of getting a little bit back into the movie again. Um, let's uh talk about one of the big elephants in the room here. Um, the Manson family. And how they are kind of, how they kind of play a role in this movie, and kind of being a part of the backdrop for most of the movie. Uh, Christian, starting with you. Um, well, you know, yeah, it's. I feel like their presence. Okay, so when I was talking earlier about like what the movie is about. I also feel like he uses the Manson family to sort of, like, show how the innocence in movies kind of, like, died. And I feel like that's why he uses the last 20 minutes the way that he does, is because, like, the whole movie is pretty much innocent, and it all builds up to that wild fucking finish, which, well, I'm sure we'll get to that. But it's, like, the arrival of these goddamn hippies... And nothing was to quote simple. Rick Dalton. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Nothing was simple anymore. And like, and like, and if you think about the movies, like in the sixties, it's pretty much tame. Then you get to the seventies, like the early seventies, and you got Deliverance, you got Pink Flamingos, you got Clockwork Orange. You know, like everything got like a lot different. Like the times. Were a changing, and I'm pretty as that. But also, it just so happened to work out with 
the year that he's portraying. I don't know. But I definitely think that the Mance family has a pretty strong presence in this movie. And knowing what you know about them, you get like a certain chill any time that, unless it's like the scenes with like Brad or uh, Cliff Booth and Pussycat, you don't really get much fear there. But, you know, you see them just walking through the streets of LA and you just, you know what you know Dumps about the them. Dive. Yeah, exactly. They're like singing weird, like cultish music and dump, you know, dumpster diving and just drifting their way through LA. And you just like, it's, they definitely have a presence. Even the scene with Charles Manson himself, the one scene, I like, I knew nothing would really come of it, but I still was like, oh, God, he's that. Close. Did you notice that he looks like Colin Firth? Or is it just no. Me? You didn't think he looked like Colin Firth? No. no. I actually thought it was him when I saw the trailer. Oh my. I think you're mistaken. <laughs> I know. Look at him again. You're mistaken. Uh, yeah, I thought he had but... more of like a Cliff, Clifton Collins kind of look to him. But... I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah, you do. No. Okay, whatever. Mm. I mean, but uh, I did find it interesting that um, the actor that plays uh, Charles Manson in this, he's actually playing Charles Manson once again in season two of Mindhunters. I saw yeah. that. That's, I think that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, so that, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, you're, you're good at what you're good at. He doesn't look that much like him. That's, that's cool. Look at the trailer for Mindhunters. And, Anybody that's got look- hair that that length and a little bit of a mustache could look like Charlie Manson. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, anybody could. Anybody, any white guy with brown hair. His music's terrible, but he's a really nice guy. <laughs> Ooh, Charles Manson? Like yeah. <laughs> Are there any movies that feature the Manson family that aren't like B or C movies? They're really Honestly, God, I don't think so. Hey, in well, case, the- you know, for those of you who can't make it to the theater to see once upon a time in Hollywood, two things. One, shame on you. And two, there is a new movie on Amazon Prime starring Hilary Duff oh, called God. The Haunting of Sharon Tate. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that is it on Prime? I believe so. I, I knew it came out a few months ago. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna watch it. But I heard it was terrible. I'm sure it's awful. Uh, it was at like seven. Look, look, you said. You said. Look, you said. The Haunting of Sharon Tate, starring Hilary Duff. Hilary yeah. Duff, yeah. yeah. Chantel loves Hilary Duff. Mm-hmm. As much as I love Dakota mm-hmm. Fanning. And you know what? Like These people are doing wrong. It's just personal taste. I, I feel like we see them in a movie once and we're like, fuck them. Mm-hmm. Like, I saw Hilary Duff in this shitty movie with John Cusack one time. Oh, I didn't read that movie. Or Ink, I think Alex Oh, it's so bad. Alex Bonnie, remember? I do, and I got rid of it. <laughs> it was not good. But no, I thought that this movie was tasteful in its representation, and it made light of a pretty dark situation, I guess. It definitely did, yeah. And well, towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You kind of fear for how Quentin Tarantino is going to handle this situation, especially because you constantly see Margot Robbie's Sharon Tate, you know, Strolling mm. through the 
through the streets of Los Angeles so happy and plucky. Which, by the way, that's another thing I really like about this movie is the little details. For example, um, there's like a scene where she's talking with Jay about how she she says something like, oh, I'm going to tell Jim Morrison that you were listening to Paul Revere in the Raiders. And I was like, <laughs> okay, how does he know Jim? I was like, I don't know anything about Jay Sebring. Jay Sebring did Jim Morrison's hair. See? Um, there's like that. Uh, Margot Robbie goes to this bookstore and she buys a copy of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Jim Morrison's hair done? What? Jim Morrison got his hair done? Yes, by Jake Sebring before he died. Um, but Margot Robbie goes to this bookstore and buys a copy of Tess of the D'Urbervilles for Roman Polanski. And as it turns out, she actually did buy him a copy of that book with the hopes that he would make a movie out of it and put her in it. And he did end up making the movie called Tess. It's one of Roman Polanski's best movies. And it was made like 10 years after her death. But he's dedicated. Other than the dolls, is the only one I've seen. I think. I haven't. I don't think I've seen a single one. No, but she's in one of his. That's how they met. It's called the Fearless Vampire Killers. I have seen the like. There's a show on Prime called like (sighs) Too Young to Die or something. She was featured in that show. Mm -hmm. I learned all about her her movies. You haven't even seen what is it? The Valley of the Dolls. No, but I've seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, oh. written by Roger Ebert. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah. Well, okay, well, since we're on the uh, topic of uh, Margot Robbie, um, what did you guys think of her performance as Sharon Tate? And did you feel like, with this performance, that you got to know a little bit more about her, opposed to what you've known of just, oh, she got killed by the Manson family? Um, starting with you, Christian. Um, well, it's like, I think Margot Robbie's performance in this movie is actually perfect, and it's weird, because she doesn't even say that much. But, as I mentioned earlier, I think it, the movie is kind of portraying, like, the innocence of the time period, and I think that her character is used as kind of, like, a surrogate to display that innocence, and it also, like, Knowing what you know about her, it sort of you sort of develop more sympathy and fear for her death, like through Margaret Robbie's personality in this movie. Like you, you're just like, oh well, damn it, she ends up dead, but she seemed like such a wonderful person. Which well, because she actually apparently was. Yeah, she was really sweet and very nice, and she never did drugs or drank or anything. So it's. Uh, I think it's probably an accurate depiction. Yeah, exactly. I think so too. It, I, like, I think the reason why she doesn't say much is probably out of respect for her persona, but also like she does enough without saying anything. It's like she goes to the like she goes to see her own movie and she's delighted by the fact that everybody is enjoying it and they're enjoying her and there's just something really sweet about it especially knowing you know that she ended up meeting her you know, like meeting her fate months later i don't know yeah yeah and and the fact that 
Tarantino actually used the real footage of those Yes, movies. I like that too. Because I know that sometimes they'll just recreate it. But, yeah. and this time he just used the actual movie. And it was, I feel like no matter how, like, if he had recreated it, it might have been distracting. But also, like, you would think nothing of it. But I think it works better with him using the actual movie, which I want to see it. <laughs> I want to anything with a cat fight has my interest. So. Is it the one with Dean Martin? Yes. Yeah. I am uh, pretty sure. I'm pretty sure somebody was watching. Was like, wait a minute, that's not Margot Robbie on screen. Who the hell is that? Exactly. It's yeah, they're like, who's this bitch? It's like and a James Bond spoof movie. Did you ever see the one that I gave you with Woody Allen? I did. I really don't like it. It's no good. It's supposed to be something like that. So I don't it's know. It's like two and a half hours long, and to me. An ideal comedy needs to get in and get out. The reviews are good. 80 minutes. Um, How can you say oh, that when this movie was like fucking almost three hours? Well, because this, that's, I, I wasn't done. I was going to say, unless it has a story that's worthwhile. Like Judd Apatow's movies are a little long, but normally the story is really about anything. But there was always something interesting happening. Same. Or slash something interesting to look at. What'd you do with it? Exactly. What? Oh, I think I got rid of it. Oh, Shanta, what do you think about Margot Robbie's performance here? Um, yeah, what I was just saying a minute ago, I think it was probably an accurate portrayal. I wish we got a little bit more, honestly, but I think that, like Christian said, they're probably trying to keep it light because her sister is still alive, and she's like actively campaigns every year of it. Is anybody from the family that was in, involved in the murder still in prison? Because up until, you know... All the, all the major ones are... I mean, uh, Susan Atkins and Charles Manson, of course, they're dead. Okay. Everybody in um, family is dead except for her sister, who still actively, like, goes to all their, um like, uh, hearings and shit whenever they might be released for parole. And she, like, yeah. campaigns against them and has them. And usually because she shows up, they stay in there. Her sister does approve of it, by the way. Okay, that's good to hear. Yes. Yes, yes. So I, I think uh, it's just ticks and um, what's the other one name? Nah, it sounds stupider than that. It's like Rex or. I was going to ask you about because you said that I know that Tex was a person. Susan Atkins was there that night, and then there was another one, but. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll talk about when we get to it because those people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I think I know. Who, yeah, I think I know. I thought they had yeah, different names. About this. No, no, that, that that was their that's their real names, but um. So Susan Ashley was there? No, because I thought there was also supposed to be four or five of them, and there was only what three. Well, there was okay, okay. See, this is what people get confused about: is that with the Sharon Tate and um, J C Brink, and I forgot the other two people's name. Unfortunately, um, murders, older, it, it, yeah, it, it was four. It was the four of them, but only three of them did the murder. Then the next night, they killed, I think it was like six people, and Charles Manson went with them for that one. Yeah, he he felt that the Sharon Tate one was they did it sloppy or whatnot. So he's like, let me come along. I'm gonna show you how it's supposed to be done. Well, they also didn't even like they wanted to start a riot between the black people and the white people. And they didn't leave any like anything to allude to the fact that black people had done the murder. So I think that's yeah. part of the reason. So, yeah, stupid idea. There was a whole bunch of 
it was a whole bunch of crap, and, and that's why they got called in, and now they're you know rotting in hell and in and in jail. So yeah, um, but um, so this whole thing where um, uh, what, what the hell? Where's my left? Okay, so there's this whole like running thing throughout the movie about whether or not Cliff uh, killed his wife. <laughs> that, that scene that scene on the boat and it's funny that i didn't even know that was rebecca gayhart that's playing his wife um or whatnot uh because it didn't look like her i guess because she had the shades on but, um but yeah so she's basically like just just nagging him the whole damn time for no reason it seemed like and look like he was about to go like snorkeling or whatnot and you know shooting a spear you know probably fishing or something underwater and she gets so she's in his face and he's basically pointing the gun at her and it cuts and it just kind of leaves this whole ambiguous type thing like so i want to ask y'all do y'all think he killed his wife <laughs> chantel i hope so <laughs> you hope so uh, <laughs> how else would she okay she's dead correct so he was yeah she's dead <laughs> she was shot then he would have shot her, right? So he had to have killed her, whether it was an accident or not. I couldn't say. But well, okay. See, here's the thing: they don't say that she was shot. They just say he killed, he killed her. Was, yeah. Was he not holding his gun? But okay. Was he pointing like his gun? Listen to what I said. Yeah. They just say that she was killed. They didn't say she was shot or anything like. They just say he killed her. Okay, I'll just thought it was implied so, he shot her because he was pointing a gun in her direction. But, um, I don't understand if she wasn't shot, then how else would she die in a way that it could look like it was possibly an accident? Would she be be strangled to death accidentally? I'm going to say two words. Natalie Wood. That's what I say. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's that, and I felt like that's where he was going with that. That's and I'll just detective. Like, oh my God, I'll just I'll just leave it like that. I love and, that. I didn't even know. I guess we need to know yeah. if, if her body was recovered, then it could easily be said that she was drowned. But like I said, Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood. That's, that's what I'll say. <laughs> even though in real life that happened. Um, in 1980, and yeah, this movie takes place in 1969. But I felt like with that, that's what he was kind of alluding to. So, and Robert Wagner has continued to have a successful career after that, and he still shows up on NCIS as um, Tony's dad, even though Tony is not on the show anymore. <laughs> but that's just... that sounds um... about right. <laughs> I don't watch the show, but that just sounds. Yeah. <laughs> He, he's still on CBS, but he's on a different show. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's... <laughs> hey, it's a job, you know. <laughs> exactly, but uh, he he continued to have a career after 1980 of being suspected of killing his wife. Yes, and... yeah. Most of my life, I didn't even know that it was him that did it. I'd seen him in Austin Powers and shit growing up, never having ever yeah. that he was exactly. She probably so... said something like. You'll always be second best. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Granted, uh, let me just make emphasis. We're not, uh, we're not laughing at Natalie Wood's murder for anyone who's listening or anything. No, like I that. thought she was great. That's a damn shame. Yeah, it really, it really is. Man. But yeah, uh, <laughs> said it. 
Uh, but Christian, uh, you, uh, what do you, what do you think about, uh, do you think he killed his wife? I do, and I say that because, well, the first time you see it, at that point in time, when you see that flashback within a flashback, which, that's... Yeah, I know. Um, but at that point in time, you don't know that much about Cliff Booth. As the movie goes on, though, you realize that that man does not give a fuck. So if he wanted to be rid of her... He'd probably do it, and that's why I feel like he did it. So yeah, yeah. Like he probably got tired of her shit and started smashing her face against the ground, and that was it. Or and, or he just tossed the ass overboard yeah, and that's... just drove off a left right. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> but uh, okay. So since we talked about the flashback inside the flashback, let's talk about the first flashback, and that is of why. Well, the one of the reasons why he's somewhat kind of blackballed as being a stuntman, which is this whole uh, Bruce Lee scene. Um, Kristen, I'll hand this over to you if you want to, you know, kind of walk us through this whole thing. All right, so uh, before he drops, uh, this is before the flashback, Cliff is dropping Rick off at his new gig, and Cliff asks him if he'll be doing stunt work, and Rick tells him that the same guy who's running this is friends with the guy who is running the stunt work for the Green Hornet. And at that point, you're like, okay, what is this going to be? Well, while Cliff is shirtless, thank God, on um, Rick's roof, he has a flashback to this time in which Cliff, while on the set of the Green Hornet with Rick, uh, pretty much everybody before this interaction with Bruce Lee is talking about how Cliff killed his wife, potentially, and how, you know, he gives off a bad vibe. And it cuts to Cliff dressed in, like, a tuxedo, and Bruce Lee is... Yes, Bruce Lee is doing this bit that I I think we're led to assume he does before filming anything... And it's, uh, basically, Cliff finds it a bit silly, and he laughs, to which Bruce Lee calls him out for it, and he basically, Cliff basically, like, how does it come about? He says some, who is it that initiates the fight? Is it Well, okay, the way it went down is where he is like, you... You find something funny, he's like no. He's like you got a problem, he's like no, man. They like, well, I didn't say anything funny, so clearly you find something funny. And he's like, well, yeah, you kind of did. And it's like you know, if we get into a fight or whatnot. You know, my hands are registered lethal weapons. He said, if I accidentally kill you, I could go to jail. And Cliff is like, yeah, anybody accidentally kills somebody in a fight, it's called manslaughter. Oh, manslaughter. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, how about this? Since um, you like to talk or whatnot, how about we have a friendly contest to see who, you know, could put the other guy on their butt. Nobody hit anybody in the face. Just a friendly, two, um, you know, best of three, you know, contest to see who is better or whatnot. So that's when, they, you know, Cliff takes off the hairpiece and everything and he take off his jacket. And while Bruce is trying to take off his shirt or whatnot, the other dude is like, you know, that guy's pretty famous. <laughs> like, that guy is famous? Like, yeah, that guy, he killed his wife and got away with it. Like, that guy? <laughs> 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 so, 
that that's how it that's how you know everything got started there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't sure who like I I was pretty sure it was Bruce who decided yeah. you know they would start fighting. But the two of them fight and like first time Brad is or Cliff, sorry, is kicked to the ground. The second time Cliff grabs Bruce's leg and throws him against this really nice blue car and mm. Then he pretty much proceeds to kick Bruce's ass until the Kurt Russell character shows up, and then Kurt Russell's wife, who can't stand Cliff, shows up. As it turns out, that really nice shiny blue car belonged to the wife of Kurt Russell, <laughs> and for that reason, that is pretty much why Cliff is like blacklisted in Hollywood at that point in time. But, yeah. So, okay, so now the the whole kind of big issue here um, that some people are having, including Bruce Lee's daughter, that's um, yeah, who's having a problem with this is that they don't feel that her father was portrayed to his true nature. Mm-hmm. I just and, I've heard he's a cocky asshole. This is what I've heard. Well, well okay. We'll put it like this. If you are as bad as Bruce Lee is, you would probably be a little bit cocky too. Plus, you have to think about something. Bruce Lee came along at a time when he literally had to fight to get his spot in Hollywood. And even when he did get his spot in Hollywood, he still had to literally fight. And the reason why I put emphasis on literally is because the man used to get into street fights because people would always run up on him on the street and want to challenge him to a fight. And he would have to, he really was the street fighter. <laughs> he really, yeah. he really was. And, and everything. So I, I felt like there was a little bit of that, the whole thing with him and Cliff having this fight in a way. But I didn't, I didn't feel that Tarantino was disrespectful to Bruce because, and, and the reason why I say that is, you have to think about something. There's a bunch of guys on a set around talking. And this could be, you just take it to a thing, a bunch of guys sitting around anywhere. Somebody is always, you know, jibber jabbing or, or whatnot about, you know, bragging about something. And are you trying to tell me that Bruce Lee or anybody is, you know, being the person that they are, being as bad as they are? they wouldn't be kind of grandstanding in front of a group of people. Yeah. So, uh, you know, whatnot. And then I think what some people have a problem with too is that here's this stuntman that actually kind of goes toe-to-toe with Bruce Lee and who the hell is Cliff Booth that he's going toe-to-toe with Bruce Lee. And it's like, okay, this is a movie. And the biggest thing from this whole thing where I think a lot of people is that's this whole thing of Bruce Lee was disrespected. I think the biggest thing that they missing is that this is a flashback from Cliff Booth's point of view. How do we know? This is Cliff remembering that. For all we know, Cliff got his ass kicked in real life. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's fair. And, I didn't give him a like that. You know, because you know, whenever you, whenever you think back about something, do you always play it out 100% how it went, or do you start to kind of fantasize it a little bit to your no, you don't. Yeah, exactly. Like, details are 
you know, twisted and spun and whatnot. Um, no, I think so, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I just so, it, I th- comedy sequence. I just don't know why people always get so bad at shape about shit. Well, it's not way, like it was tasteless. It was funny. It, it was funny, and the way I see it is okay. Quentin Tarantino obviously has an admiration for Bruce Lee, and I say that because the outfit that Uma Thurman wears in Kill Bill is the same one that Bruce Lee wore in one of his movies. So, I mean, plus he loves that kung fu shit. I I know he does. Um, What? No, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to piggyback off of that and say, the whole thing about the crazy 88 is him as Kato, henceforth why they wear the, the suit and the mask that they wear yeah and then she is from game of death which was the last movie that he was filming before he died yeah so yeah exactly Tar- tarantino said he basically wanted to have the first hollywood iteration of bruce lee versus the last hollywood iteration, iteration of bruce lee again. yeah that makes yeah. a lot of sense to me yeah i didn't even make the kato connection that makes total sense and that makes it even cooler honest to god but yeah. um, I also feel like that scene, while it is funny, if you think about the rest of the movie, it's shown like to display how bad of a motherfucker Cliff Booth is. Exactly. And that's exactly. I don't think that they're really trying to offend or you know tarnish Bruce Lee's reputation. I really think because you know when you think about Bruce Lee fighting anybody, you'd imagine he'd win. But Cliff Booth, this fictional stuntman kicking Bruce Lee's ass, it's to show, you know, that Cliff Booth does not fuck around. It's, and, you know, when you get to the rest of the movie, you realize that more and more. This might not be something you realize right away, but it's mm-hmm. something that you realize by the time it's done. And I don't, I, I don't think he was trying, I, I know he must love Bruce Lee. But at the same time, I could see where Bruce Lee's daughter was coming from, but it, it, it it's not that way. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I didn't see it at all. Uh, Chantel, um, what do you think about all that? I think he'd be cool with it. If he's not the total giant cocky asshole that I've been led to believe that he could have been. And Honestly, if he has any sense of humor whatsoever, then he'd be all right. With it. I will admit, I believed that monologue. I Because... Yeah. If you are, like, if you're as cool as Bruce Lee is, I wouldn't be surprised if he talked that way about himself. Because he's a cool dude. <laughs> exactly. Wasn't the Green Hornet pretty early on, though, in his career? Yeah, that was in, like, the 60s. We're going to be talking yeah. about that smack. I mean, well, he, he, okay, relative. He, well, here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, he was new to Hollywood, but he was a karate master. I mean, he was trained by the real Ip Man. I mean, Ip Man is a real was a real person mm-hmm. who trained Bruce Lee and everything. So he was legit. I mean, now, I do have a question for you, Jay. Did okay. Bruce Lee actually train Sharon Tate? Yeah. Okay. He, okay. Okay. Around that time, he. That's why I like when they show those scenes. He he trained her. Yeah. He trained Jay. He he trained. Uh, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a and, lot of celebrities were starting to get into that, and he was mm-hmm. like, the trainer for a lot of the you know Hollywood stars that was getting into yeah. karate and everything. And I noticed this the second time, as I mentioned earlier, the dots really connect more because you do see 
like, you see that scene with Bruce Lee, but then you realize that he was in these other people's lives, too. And then you also got Steve McQueen at the Playboy Mansion, and Rick Dalton was up for his role in The Great Escape. I know that's yeah. the lore of this. That guy movie. that played Steve McQueen was a very good likeness, I think. Yeah, it was. He yeah. had that whole creased, leather-like face that Steve McQueen had. It looked like, like Damien Lewis does look like him. When I... Well, this is what I was going to say about that. What? Oh, do you not I, I, I feel like this. I felt like Brad Pitt looked more like Steve McQueen than Damien Lewis did. I... Okay, I can see that. Well, I feel like Brad Pitt definitely has the persona down more than... Damien Lewis does, but I see. even though I, I even though I like I like Steve McQueen's speech when he's telling the story of the three of them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like, I like that movie. too. I like because it kind of that is one thing I want to. Okay, I don't know if this was a point that you had written down, but the movie's treatment of Roman Polanski. Hmm. I didn't have it written down, but I I did want to bring it up. Why is there something how... that I missed? Was there? Something that was, you know, he he's he's like an afterthought character, and it's a line that Damian Lewis, as Steve McQueen said, when after he gave that whole speech, he was like, "Well, you know, Jay, he doesn't mind sharing because he knows at some point Roman's gonna fuck the whole thing up, and he'll be waiting." Which it did come true. The only problem is is that the Manson family screwed it all up by killing them. Because I think if the whole thing about Roman Polanski and this underage girl would have came out and Sharon Tate was still alive, she would have left him, and Jay would have been there to pick up the pieces. I think, yeah, I, I really like that line. But then you think about the ending, though, which I feel like we should come back to this point. Oh, we, we are. We, okay, I, 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 we I, need I, to I, hold this thought. We're, we're building it up there. I Yeah, yeah. I have had a theory about the ending and what it really means. Okay. And I, I think it definitely has something to do with this. But I felt like I had to bring it up this way. It was on our minds, and we didn't forget it. Because I know that Roman Polanski and his wife, Emmanuel something, she was in one of his movies, but they were like, he didn't come to us about this movie. What the hell? And I don't even, I don't think he's, I don't think he was disrespectful about the treatment of Roman Polanski either. Um, no, and I say that because of the end. But we'll get to that. For what? He's not even really in it. He's not. Exactly. He's like in the backdrop. But it's like, if you know what you know about Roman Polanski, and then you think about the movie as a whole, it sort of, ah, I'll just save it for later. I feel like Roman Polanski hasn't gotten the treatment that Woody Allen's received, and it's kind of strange. Roman Polanski's been banned from the Academy. He's actually Roman Polanski... Yeah, he cannot come back to the United States because if he do, he he'll be going to jail. I mean, in the sense that like celebrities still do his movies since this happened. The thing well, with Yano was thrown out. Of mostly court. like, well, most of his movies now are like foreign, probably because I don't know. But he still gets big people to do his movies, and I mean, Woody Allen's thing was thrown out of court, and people are like talking shit, refusing to work with him. Amazon canceled, you know the. The deal that they had with him, and it's crazy. Like, this is something well, that was disproved in court. So, why is. You know what's funny about the Roman Polanski situation? Okay, so they banned. The Academy banned him after, you know, the Me Too movement began. And his victim. What? I thought. So, he's, he's been able to 
his features yeah. have been featured this whole time, Justin Till. He won an Oscar while he was a fugitive, and they gave him a standing ovation. That's fucking nice. And what's in, what's funny about this is they banned him like right around the time of the Me Too movement, and his victim was like, you're all just full of shit posers. <sighs> like, basically you're doing this to make yourselves look good. I like his movies, but... Um, I do too. I, I like it is. But I mean, like Woody hasn't been banned yet. Roman has. But the fact that even his victim isn't that traumatized by it, interesting. What? Even Roman Polanski's victim hasn't been traumatized by the event. She wrote a book. I thought it's called Girl. I haven't read it yet. Oh, okay. I haven't either. But, yeah. The fact that she rushed to his defense <laughs> is... Just, much. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a weird thing. It is definitely a weird. Thing. Um, I mean, we're not gonna go too much into the um, you know, plan me too. Files. Well, <laughs> me too. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, we could we could go into that's a whole. Don't get me. That is something I want to address by the time we get to the ending of this movie. <laughs> but all right. Um. But yeah. Um. I mean, I don't understand why a lot of people like say if, if okay if Shannon Lee wants to feel a certain way about how her dad was portrayed in it. I understand it. That's her yeah. that's her right to do so. But for these other people like Yeah or whatnot. Die when she was pretty young anyways. How the fuck did she, she was three years old when he died. Yeah, so what did she yeah. what her father was like? I mean, Brandon was older, but uh, I yeah. I read what she had to say and she said that she found it upsetting that people were laughing at her dad. Like <laughs> Because, you know... It's not the, her dad, it's the situations. Yeah. And I mean... It, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, I would like to say, if, if that's how she feels about it, that's her right to feel that way about it. Mm-hmm. But is my my problem is not so much about Shannon Lee. It's more about these people who jumped on this whole thing of, yeah, he was disrespected and blah, 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 and everything. And so... I kind of curve that back by saying, well, if you really want to talk about something disrespectful, let's talk about the fact that now keep in mind, this is 1969. Bruce Lee is referring to Muhammad Ali as Cassius Clay. In 1969, he was not Cassius Clay anymore. He was Muhammad sure. Ali. Mm. That's or, more disrespectful than anything. Yeah, no, right? he was not. What do I That's a good point. Good catch. Oh, so. Yeah. So... And he, at this point, he was banned from boxing. He was barely making ends meet and everything like that. But, hey, like I said, what do I know? I don't know anything. Um, but, like I said, if you want to start nitpicking stuff like that, I can mm-hmm. go down yeah. that road. But, eh, it was whatever. Um, but, but, yeah, I thought the scene was fun. And it showed Brad Pitt in a badassery. Exactly. In that I guarantee you that's the reason for that scene's existence. Exactly. Show that he's a badass that he could fight. It's so, it's a more character driven movie than anything else. And plus, he, yeah, like well, you. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm 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 just all over the place with this because I don't know. I'm kind of talking about it, it. It pisses me off because I think that's one of the reasons why Tarantino made this movie the way he made it, which we're going to talk about when we get to the end is that you're not supposed to take 
what you're seeing seriously. Yeah. Everything that you're seeing. It's a comedy. So, and it even it's, makes... It's not, it's not just a comedy. It's more of a fantasy. It movie. is, exactly. So, the title, once you get to the end of the movie, makes so much sense. You just have to get to the end of the movie. <laughs> but the title is actually brilliant, really, because it a, it's a fairy tale, essentially. Yeah. But... Exactly. So, I'm with you on this, damn it. I really am. Yeah. yeah. Alright, so all right, let's move away from uh, this Bruce Lee stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um Alright, so probably one of the my favorite like acted scenes in this is Rick Dalton and Miss Julie Butters, um Trudy is her character's name, or whatnot, on the set of Lancer as Rick in his kind of stupor or whatnot he, he goes stumbling around the set because he's looking for the bad guy saloon and he's thinking he's just gonna chill out and read his little book and you know smoke cigarettes and wait till they call him for his next scene and he gets there and sees this little person sitting there played by julie butters she's reading this book and everything and he sits down next to her and they have this conversation and I know later in, in the movie when she tells him that this is some of the best acting that she's ever seen in her life. <laughs> I feel like this scene is probably one of the best acted scenes in a Tarantino movie. Because when they start going back and forth about what each other is reading, and she's actually, she has this big like script book, but she's actually reading a, a bio thing about Walt Disney. <laughs> yeah. And then she asks him what he's reading, and he starts talking about this. Um, it's like a Western book about this guy. Uh, his name is uh, Easy Breezy or what, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he, when when Leo starts talking about the character in this book and how he's like starting to come to his own realization that he's actually this character and everything, and and how that plays, it's like. Tarantino, you are a master. I bow to you, sir, because I don't know too many other writers, directors that could have written a scene like that because he's Tarantino is writing the words that Leo is saying as Rick talking about a character in a book that he's basically talking about himself. Shit. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the whole I'm the dude playing the dude disguised as another mm-hmm. thing. But uh, what did you think about like how that scene was played and Leo's and Julie Butter's performance in that scene? Uh, oh, me? Yeah, because I don't. I think Chantel. I don't know what she was doing. I uh, drifted in and out of consciousness during this time. Is this the part with the little girl? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I just the only thing I could say about it was it reminded me of Haley Steinfeld, and I already said it when she was in True Grit. And she seemed like a precocious little girl, and it was a good scene. Very well acted. Very good. But that's all, that's all I can really say, because I don't even know what the conversation was about, really. I don't remember. It's a, it's a very, it's a sweet moment. And I, I, like, that's not really a term you use to describe Quentin Tarantino's movies, but it's sweet because, like, you, you do feel for Rick, and I feel like, he doesn't really get to talk about these things very often, and yet he has an outsider who is willing to listen to him 
and she's actually really understanding of him, too. And, like, there is just something really right about that moment. I really believed it. Like, because I'm, like, like him reading that book hit him close to home. And Mm -hmm. I know that, like, later on in the movie, as you mentioned, there's the the scene that was in the trailers where she's like, that's the best acting I've seen in my whole life. (laughs) And even when that happens, like, I'm sure it was played for laughs, but I still felt for him because I felt like that character, her character, like, lifted his spirits at a time where he really needed it. And, like, I, I like the scene where he's reading the book because she's like, well, A, she, like, establishes, like, how, like, how do I put it? She really, she seems like a full-fleshed, smarter-than-average child, which, you know, I mean, you don't see many many kids reading a biography on Walt Disney, but then, like, when he starts tearing up, she says something like, you know, I'm nearly on the verge of tears, I've never even read the thing. And, like... It's because she even has a personal understanding of what he's going through and what the character has gone through. And I just thought it was all really smart. Yeah. And then, don't forget when he kind of... It's funny how Rick Dalton is still Rick Dalton in that moment, too, because he's like, he's like, well, don't worry, you'll be living it in 15 years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> She's like, what? Never mind. He's like, he's like, no, he told, oh, I'm just teasing you, pumpkin puss. Yeah. <laughs> she, that's what she's like, she don't on. call me pumpkin puss. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. She's so good. Yeah. Really. And, uh, I mean, and then, like I say, to coincide, I mean, because I, mean, I did skip over the whole thing with James Stacy played by Timothy Oliphant and how he, you know, because, you know, that scene with him and her later on with uh, Luke Perry um, appearing or whatnot. That happens after his whole meltdown in the trailer, which I love that freaking Oh, song. it's so good. What the fuck was that? Jesus Christ! Fuck! Shit. Damn it, Rick. Fucking lines! You embarrass yourself like that in front of all the goddamn people! Well, you're drinking all night. Fucking drinking again, eight goddamn fucking whiskey sours. <sighs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> you're a fucking miserable drunk. And fucking remembering your fucking lines. I practiced them and now I don't look like I goddamn practiced them. You're sitting there like a fucking baboon. <laughs> Jim Stacy, and show all of them on that goddamn fucking set who the fuck Rick Dalton is. All right. Let me tell you something. You don't get these lines right. I'm gonna blow your fucking brains out tonight. All right. Your brains are gonna be splattered all over your goddamn pool. I mean it, motherfucker. Get your shit together. It's as somebody who is drinking right now. 
I can assure you <laughs> that it's very relatable. Even, even the dialogue in that Lancer show, it like yeah. it's like terrible, but I could easily yeah. picture it in the show. <laughs> like he says something. Well, it's like there's one line in particular. He's like, "Have your." daughter play your chili pepper heart out. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> I just remember anything that you fucking knew or not about. Because you were asleep. You were so asleep. This is during that, this is during that segment, then. Because I remember yeah, pepper heart out. I remember seeing Timothy Elephant, but I don't remember seeing Luke Perry, and I don't remember this part at all. Yeah, because, like I said, you, you, you were asleep during most of this. Um, cause, I mean, Timothy Elephant, I mean, James Stacy is a real, because Lancer was a real show. I, I looked that up. Ah. It was a real show. Yeah. I think it was on for like two or three seasons. And um, James Stacy was a real actor. Um, it's also um, the character that Luke Perry played was on the show. At, he was a real actor as well. Um, and everything. But the whole thing that really like pushed him to that meltdown in the trailer is when they doing the scene. Because you know, early in the movie, we see him practicing his lines for this. And they get to that part where they're sitting at the table. And I'll tell her I'll give her a fat $5 gold piece. You play her little chili pepper heart out. Go on. So, Johnny, what else you heard? I heard you're pushing Lancer pretty hard. But Lancer's got money. At some point... He's gonna hire some guns and push back. Mine, 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 mine. Maybe he already has. <clears throat> Maybe he got. Damn it, I fucked this whole thing. Oh, Damn it, I fucked this whole thing. Can we just go back, please? Can we just cut? Can we just cut? No, really? Just no, really? Sam, really, Sam, Sam, please? Maybe he already has. Maybe he already has. Right, Goddamn it, all right, all right, all right. Whoa! Goddamn outlaw, Rick. Come on now. <clears throat> I got it. I got it. Go back a bit, would you? No, he's right. Back to one. Okay, <clears throat> I use all that. I'm gonna use it. Oh, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna put it all inside. What? But what makes it funny is if you pay, because the first time I watched it, I didn't pay attention to it, but the second time when I watched it, if you watched. Timothy Olafet, as he's just sitting there like, okay. Okay. It's like, what the hell's going on here? He's like, what's wrong with this guy? And everything, because the way he cuts his eye to the... And then, when the way they... You realize, okay, this is actually the show because the camera, you know, is actually motion. It's like, can we go back to one? It's like, oh, I, I fucked this whole thing up. It's like, no, no, use that. Like, I know. He's right, go back to one. So they pull the camera all the way back around. Olafet do his line again. Then they go... Back around, <laughs> and it's like, oh my! What is just the way that played out? It's, and yeah, it's it crazy. It's um, but yeah, so that's when the whole meltdown happens, and then that's when he actually gives this great performance as he has her kidnapped, and you know, um, Luke Perry shows up as the son, and they do the negotiating, and then he pushes her down on the floor. And then they cut and everything, and that's when the director comes over and tells like, "Oh, you did a great job." He's like, "Oh, that's it." They're like, "No, that's that was great. We're done." And then that's when she whispers that, "Like, that was some of the best acting I've ever seen in my life." And it's like he's rigged on this like 
he he was on the brink of actually committing suicide. Exactly, and he finally feels as if he's you know back back on top of yep. it. Yeah, it's really nice. And yeah, and like I said, we we spend so much time with him on this set because after the flashback with with Cliff, we don't see him for a long time until he's basically on his way to pick up Rick again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Cliff actually disappeared for a chunk of the. You're week. right, and I noticed so, I noticed that the second time too because, like, I was thinking to myself, I was like, "This is a lot of Rick Dalton," and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right, the Spawn Ranch portion is coming up," and yeah, that. But uh, yeah, so, they they do get enough like from like it runs at like two hours and forty minutes, and I'd say both of them get equal screen time. Because, like, when they're not on screen together, each of them get, like, their own extended sequence and just yeah. there, you know, front and center. Which makes me, it almost puts me in the mind frame of, um, the Tywin of Inferno. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Newman and uh, Steve McQueen. You know, they, they, they made sure they got equal screen time in there. I, I, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> because, I mean, what a lot of people didn't know that, you know, they did not like each other. Steve McQueen and Paul Newman did not like I each other. I find that, so. you know, they're both so cool. It's like, of course their personalities would mesh. But I hate that. <laughs> like, But I, I think I think uh, Steve McQueen actually got like an extra minute or so and uh, Paul Newman was pissed. <laughs> because it was negotiated. They were supposed to have equal screen time. So, yeah. A load of shit. Yeah, but uh, I mean, we talked about Dakota Fan a little bit, and she did look dirty and grungy in this movie. I think she um, fit the role really well. Um, yeah, she did. I think she, she did. did. Um, even her dirty feet on the. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, Jesus. And I really, I, I mentioned, I like, I like Margaret Qualley. I think a lot. I think she'll go places. Um, I mean. Even though she disappeared after the whole Spawn rant scene. Yes, yeah. But that's kind of what people do in that movie. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, after the whole Lancer episode, we see uh, Timothy Oldsfant get on his little motorcycle and ride off, and that's it with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of people do, they just disappear. What, Charles Manson? Disappear, yeah. Charles Manson, you know, whose presence is pretty, like, evident throughout the movie. And, you know... A minute, maybe, of the entire three-hour odyssey, and but but yet I don't know, still there's an impact of some sort. Um, but uh, I bring all that up to bring this up to say, like some of the supporting characters that we get here. Now, of course, we know, um, you know, Charles Manson gets that one scene. Um, we get Dakota Fanning with her, you know, and everything. Bruce Dern uh, as George Spawn, who who uh burt reynolds was originally mm-hmm. asked to play that part and i, I wish that it was burt reynolds i think that could have been, been cool. able to play that yeah part. yeah especially because he's from that that actual time yeah exactly movie. that that would have worked yeah but and from something i heard too is that the relationship between rick and cliff is kind of supposed to be based off of burt reynolds and his stunt man yeah uh uh-huh. so yeah, it would have been cool if Bert would have been able to do it, but unfortunately he passed away like a month before he was supposed to film his scene mm-hmm. and everything. Um, But we do get a lot of random people show up, and quite a few of them are some of the Manson family girls. We get Lena Dunham, 
as gifs. Right. And I was like, that's Lena Dunham? She's like, she looked very flumpy. Oh, <laughs> not like, I didn't even recognize her at first. I was like, mm-hmm. who the hell is that? I was like, oh, that's her. Huh. And then you get Rumor Willis uh, as uh, one of Sharon Tate's friends. I didn't recognize her at first with the blonde hair because she's the one that shows up with the uh, with her baby. Mm-hmm. Oh she's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently Danielle Harris is one of the the Manson family girls. I was like, I do not remember seeing her at all. Um, quite a few people like, oh, uh, Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Girl, she's supposed to be one of it's like. Like, there's a lot yeah. of famous people's daughters. And then I, I, I mentioned Margaret Qualley is Andy McDowell's daughter. McDowell. And then, as I told Chantel when we was watching it, uh, Maya Hawk, who we'll watching on Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As Robin, she's the, she's the fourth girl with, you know, at, uh, with, she's the other girl that, you know, basically leaves them at, uh, at Roman That's who she, okay, yeah, she gets in the <laughs> car and drives off. <clears throat> So yeah, so like I thought it was interesting. Like he had a lot of famous people's daughters show up in this movie, mm-hmm. like a generational yeah. thing. Yeah, I guess so. um, Uma Thurman's daughter—I forget her name. When she's in Stranger Things, My I couldn't see any kind of resemblance really. But in this movie, I could definitely. Her mannerisms are a lot like Uma Thurman's. Like voice never ever might. Well, she had the long blonde hair, and it, it was a lot more. Like Uma Thurman, and then she's Stranger Things. But I told you, I said she has Ethan Hawke's hair, and she's Uma Thurman from the rest down. Well, I don't know if she looks like her per se, but she her hair. I told you, look, look at look at when Uma Thurman was. was Yeah, I saw the resemblance there, but I was just saying when she was in the car talking, like the way she talks reminds me of Uma Thurman, like her mannerisms and. Her voice was kind of like Uma. But I still don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I didn't notice Rumor Willis or the other people that you're talking about, though. Well, like I said, I still didn't. I, I have to go back and look and find freaking Daniel Harrison or Harley Quinn Smith. Um, I mean, the only time I think about seeing them is either they're part of um, the the little troop that's dumpster diving or yeah. they're at Spawn Ranch or something because like I don't remember seeing her and I mean Daniel Harris she, now she can easily blend in but Harley Quinn Smith does not blend in okay no so, she doesn't <laughs> yeah, I mean, she is and I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not saying that in a, yeah I'm, I'm not saying that in a bad way she, just, she has a distinctive face the girl that plays um, Sadie is she Asian in real life who the, the long the one in the end with the straight black hair you know I think I thought her name was Sadie in the movie. It is uh, right. You're talking about the one who gets the um. <laughs> right. Well, is she anybody? She didn't look familiar to me. But she I'm looked not... really familiar to me, but I looked it up and she wasn't in ship. So. Okay, so she's yeah. She just she just has a look about her. Um, she just looks like somebody. Um. But yeah, like I said, a lot of these girls, like, who the hell are half of these girls? But anyway, um, okay, so let's uh, get to the big finale here, which is basically, we spend two days with Rick and Cliff, you know, or whatnot, and then we jump six months, because after the whole Lancer episode, Rick actually takes, which I didn't even bring up about Al Pacino, 
um, yeah. in his role. Um, because he basically, you know, he kind of tells Rick, you know, he gives it some straight. This takes place over he, six months, because the only time I saw a date yeah. was when it said it was February 9th, and that stood out to me because it's my birthday. And I was like, oh. So I thought this all took place in, like, one day for some reason. No, it takes over three days. Okay, because I was when I woke up, months. I was like, when did he get an Italian wife when I woke up? I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> so, I guess he wasn't married to her the whole time. No. Okay. He didn't get married to her until he went to to Rome to film these spaghetti western and at, knock off uh, James Bond. At the start of the movie, Al Pacino, whenever he tells him that he's going to end up a has-been if he keeps up with his recent career choices. I remember Al- talking about the spaghetti western, but I didn't actually... Al- yeah, he insists he that he go to him. Italy to do spaghetti westerns yep. and make some money and get a name out there. And she was so, really cute, but that wife, I don't know if she is. Yeah, I don't either, but she was. Yeah, yeah, yeah she was. I married her. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, um, but anywho, we're not here to talk about that. But uh, yeah. So yeah, so after Marvin Swartz basically convinces um, Rick to go to Italy to do Italian westerns, which he despises. Yes, he does. <laughs> and he doesn't. And I, I like the artwork for those posters. I, I do like, too. I want to see these movies. Legit. <laughs> I want to see some of these movies. I do too. Yeah. He goes there, and when they come back, we find out that Rick and Cliff are basically going to be ending their partnership of actor stuntman, and basically, which is going to be the end of their friendship, essentially, um, or whatnot, because of the new Italian wife, and he can't afford to keep Cliff on, and they decide that. When they get back, they're going to have this crazy um, all-night, you know, drinking fest with each other to part on great terms and everything like that. Um, then they intertwine that with the whole Sharon Tate and JC bringing their friends going out to a different restaurant, you know, and everything like that. So what I want to know from you guys is, like, how did you guys feel about how they kind of, you know, just a patote? Juxtapatose, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juxtapatose, yeah. Take two of that. I'm like, I'm like Rick Dalton right now. Get your lines right, guys. But um, you know what now? Um, but what did you guys think about how um they basically kind of had that kind of go back and forth between both parties going out to drink and then coming back to their because they live next door to each other I didn't yes, mention that. They I, live next door to each other. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground on this movie but there's a lot of detail that we've probably slipped on That's it's just because yeah. there's so much detail in it like that's, I mean it's difficult to get to capture all of it at once but Percy sorry no, no, just like how how did you guys feel about like how that played out with like Rick and Cliff going out to get massively drunk and then with Sharon and her friends and Sharon is eight months pregnant at this point and they just going out to have a nice little dinner and they come back to um, Sharon's house and you know they you know what's her name Ab- uh, Abigail plays the piano for them before she retires to the bed which is all narrated by Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell. Yes. Yeah. And like I say, they have like a nice peaceful thing. But then when uh, 
because Rick and Cliff get so drunk, they leave the car because they take a cab back, which shows that they're, they're actually responsible, even though they're drunk as hell. But they're still responsible right. because they don't drive home. Basically, they t- for people who don't know, uh, they basically took an Uber home. In a sense. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they come back and they're <laughs> drunk as hell. And Rick um, is deciding to fix some margaritas and go listen to music out in the pool. Um, Francesca, who's still um, jet lag, is trying to get some sleep. And Cliff, who had bought a um, acid cigarette for 50 <laughs> cents, no doubt. Steal. Uh, you know. 50 cents in 19... I, I got to do the numbers on it. So, like, what is what is 50 cents equal to now? But, um... To now's money. But anyway. Um... He had left that cigarette there six months ago. And he decides to, like, well, I guess tonight's the night because he's going to walk his dog, Brandy. Who's another... Oh, star you gotta star love Brandy. Brandy's a bad bitch. <laughs> like... Yeah. But more on that so, minute. Yeah, so he decides to. He's like, well, I guess tonight's tonight, and everything. So he was like, and away we go. <laughs> as he starts smoking it, and takes her for the walk. And as he walks down the the, uh, the street or whatnot, that's when we get this loud uh, mechanical monstrosity, as Rick would later call it, come pulling up, <laughs> which is driven by Tex, and we got the three girls in the car because we know what they've come to do, and. They basically pull up there, and this is from, I mean, once again, Leo is a great actor, and he he hears this this thing making all this loud noise outside, and he was like, God damn, property taxes up the ass, are you coming? Like, he goes outside, he starts cussing at him, and like, hey, get that goddamn thing out of here, what are you doing, goddamn hippies? <laughs> so they get, they kind of get freaked out, because, he you know, they come there to kill, but here comes Rick Dalton, who they don't—they don't realize him at first. Mm-hmm. And I, I, okay, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on this. What did—did did you think that in this moment that it's like they're gonna kill Rick? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I, it was again like when Cliff Booth was at Spawn Ranch. I was like, oh my god, yeah. they're gonna like because well, so whenever this third act begins, mind you, the whole movie you're kind of wondering what Quentin Tarantino, what tricks he has up his sleeve. You know, like, you're showing, like, Cliff and Rick enjoying their night, you're showing um, Sharon enjoying her night, and you're like, well, you know this has to lead to the Manson family, but how? Um, And, like, I just assumed, honest to God, in that moment, they were just going to blow Rick's head off. But, I mean, that just kind of shows, like, the surprises that the movie has to offer because they don't but i will admit i was i was scared shitless for him because he is really digging into them and what fucking hippie freaks they are and their shitty cars i was squint watching during that time it made a little like i was sleeping yeah you were scared (laughs) i was i i believe it i'm not surprised i was too (laughs) well i also wondered if they had met him at the ring or no Oh, no, they only met Cliff. Okay, so he didn't go to the ring. No, no he was never busy went filming Lancer. Okay, see, I don't really remember the part of the ranch. Yeah, because you slept through that. Yeah. Well. Um, but, 
<laughs> but no, because like I say, I, I I feel like Tarantino did a masterful job here with his with his ending because he it's like he played on what we know happened exactly. in real life. Yeah, exactly. So it's like okay, it was well, genius. They're, yeah, they're they've come there to kill Sharon and her friends. Rick is not a real person, so clearly they either gonna run him over with the car or they're gonna shoot him. Yeah, or they gonna exactly. shoot him and run him yeah. over or whatnot. So but no, it goes like he's he basically... pissing off he's Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no no no. Go I was ahead. just to say he's like deliberately pissing off insane hippies. Like yeah. anybody would have assumed that in that moment he was gonna get it. Yeah. And it was so, a movie of us. So. Yeah, like I said, it's a massive thing because Tarantino. So what? So what ends up happening is that because he basically, you know, berates them and everything, forces them to drive that some bitch backwards or whatnot. Yeah. And everything. He literally drives it backwards down that road and everything. So they get so pissed off, they change their plans. Instead of going to the Tate house, because they recognize that as Rick Dalton, well, at least Tex and the other girl recognize that as Rick mm-hmm. Dalton and everything. So they change their plans. They decide, okay, we're going to go up here and we're going to kill Rick Dalton and whoever in the house with him instead. So, and at this point, Cliff has come back with um, with Brandy. Rick is out in the pool listening to loud, listening to the music with his headphones on, just having a good old time out there. Or whatnot, and so they decide to the the four of them they decide to start going up the road. But then um, Maya Hawk, she um she's like, oh I forgot my knife. Uh, can I go back and get it? It's like well, here you gonna need the keys. So she takes the keys, runs back down the road, gets in the car, drives off leaving, <laughs> which is because in real life she actually was the lookout. She didn't actually do any of the murders. Mm, yeah, she was just the lookout for for that one or whatnot. And everything. Um. So I guess that's why they went that route with her. Um. Mm-hmm. So the three of them. The, so the other three decided to go up to the house. Uh. Tex and um the other girl. I can't remember what the hell her name is, but they come smashing in through the front door. Um. Uh, Sadie. She goes around the back and come busting in through there, and everything. And let's not forget that at this point, Cliff is high as hell because <laughs> he smoked that acid cigarette. And they basically like they got him. And he he doesn't know if they real or not because that's how high he is on you know acid and everything. And they end up waking up Francesca, forces her out there, and everything. And then as Rick is looking at it, he's like, "Hey, I know you. I know all of you. Spawn Ranch." <laughs> so good. I'm just... <laughs> I have such fond memories. <laughs> it's it's so fucking like, funny. It's fun. <laughs> I was conscious doing this part. I was watching because Christian told me not to watch the part. Well, he told me to watch it because he thought it was funny, but at the same time... It's so funny. He thought it was going to upset me, so I was watching it through my eyelashes. I, well, seeing it a second time, I didn't think it was that bad. But I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, but uh, so I mean, but what's what's great? The one of the great things about this scene is that because see, I didn't bring this up because I wanted to kind of do this all at one time. So we see earlier in the movie that 
that Cliff has Brandy well trained. She she's well trained or whatnot, and mm-hmm. he has her trained very well. I mean, I wish I had a I could have a dog like that. That's really good trained. I see, but because they don't even realize that Brandy is sitting on the freaking couch or whatnot. But when when uh, Cliff is talking to them, Brandy sits up, and we see there's like a subtle hand of Cliff like hold like holding her, like. Don't mm-hmm. you know, just just stay still, or <laughs> whatnot. And as he's talking to them and talking to them, and then he decides because uh, Tex is getting ready to shoot, and that's when he says that about I'm the devil and come to do the <laughs> devil's work and everything, which he actually did say in real life. Um, and because he points the gun at Rick and everything, at Cliff and everything, and then that's when Cliff gives Brandy the, you know, and she. Attacks Tex, which <laughs> you know starting ripping in his hand and everything, and then she starts. Then she goes for the good old um, nuts. Uh, yeah, goes for the nuts and she's biting him. And Sadie tries to sneak up on Rick. <laughs> I don't like he's saying Rick, but sneak up on Cliff or whatnot. And Cliff is because he's holding, he's getting ready to feed Brandy. That was the whole thing. And he has a can of dog food. He turns around and smashes her right in the face, busting her nose all up. So she falls to the ground crazy. Francesca, even though she's scared because uh, the other girl's not paying attention, she knocks her out and then takes off and runs in the room and everything. So we get this crazy fight and and everything. So Cliff calls off Brandy from from uh, Tex and sicks her on Sadie, <laughs> and he and Brandy goes and just mauls the hell out of her too and everything. And Rick, he Cliff. Take care of um, Tex and everything by giving the old axe, you know, kick similar to what the girls do at the end of Death Proof on stunt, yeah, <laughs> or whatnot. And then Sadie, some kind of way, she manages to get away from um, Brandy or whatnot. But in the meantime, the other girl attacks. She tackles Cliff, similar to how he got tackled in Inglorious Bastards. By That's him. true. It's like a very abrupt. Sudden whoosh. Yeah. yeah. And because he's so high, because she had the knife on her hand, it stabs him in the thigh. But because he's so high, he doesn't feel it. <laughs> and because he doesn't feel it, he beats the holy hell out of her, <laughs> slamming her face into the telephone, slamming into the fireplace. <laughs> just, just he's. It's almost like the scene from Jason X where Jason wakes up <laughs> and just <laughs> the girl in the. Just in the, you know, in the, in the nitro blizzard, freezes the face and then smashes it and just, just throws the body away. And, That's very description. Except her face takes a lot longer to smash. Yeah, it does. And while all this is going on, Rick is outside in the pool. I forgot what song he's listening to, but he's just having a good time out there until Sadie come crashing through the, the sliding glass door falls into the pool Rick is like what the fuck what not? he jumps into the wall he jumps out the pool goes to the shed and comes out with a freaking flamethrower that he used in what was it? you remember the name of the movie that it's he used the in? 14 fists <laughs> of McCluskey yes <laughs> he comes that. and he and he torches the hell out of her with this flamethrower <laughs> And okay, so now granted, none of the people that get killed here 
are did actually die. They none of them died because they actually committed the murders of the Sharon Tate and company or whatnot. But uh, what did you guys think about how Tarantino basically pulled the Inglorious Bastards really by Harry, like when he killed Hitler in the movie theater mm-hmm. or whatnot? Uh, how did you guys feel about how he kind of tricked the audience in the way of thinking it was going to go one way to the way it ended up going? Christian, real quick, whenever the boombox yeah. fell in the pool, that didn't cause an electric current when she was in the water. No. Would it not have? Was it not supposed to do that? Isn't that what happens when electric things go uh, in the water? Well, you have to think about something. That is, that is a you think about it. this is 1969 there's probably like some lo-fi um equipment <laughs> so i don't think it was gonna cause too much because i anything. literally take a bath with my laptop next to the like on top of the toilet i've been doing this for years ask christian yeah I and my mom would always say or i'd put the radio on the toilet like right by the bath if i was taking a shower so i could hear my mom would always say don't get that anywhere near the, the bathroom because you'll die if it goes in the water yeah, it's probably really dangerous, but... Okay. Well, you have to think about something, too. A pool has more water than a bathtub, so... I guess so, but also, it wasn't plugged in, the boombox wasn't. Maybe if something's plugged in, it's more dangerous than if it's yeah, just running also, on like I say, battery. It's a, it's a 1969 lo-fi radio. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. Oh, when she, she fell in the water, I didn't think that he was going to... Pull out the flamethrower. I thought she was gonna be like, Yeah. I, I thought he was just gonna run in the house and you know what. I, then we see him close. I'm like, what the hell is he going to the shed for? Like, <laughs> and then he goes out with that flamethrower. That's just that was just icing on the whole cake. So, but uh, but like I say, like, what did you guys think about how, like I say, Tarantino basically tricked the audience of, of turning it on his head the way he did. I prefer it this way. It's funnier this way. It's certainly not funny the other fucking way. It's brilliant, honestly. I think it is. Yeah. I it is like I imagined he was gonna do something like Inglorious Bastards, but I honestly didn't know what it was gonna be. And as it was happening, I cackled for about five straight minutes, and it's really satisfying. And it also like, of course, paints the ending in a different light. But we'll get to that in a second. Um, but it wasn't what I was expecting, and I, I thought it worked really well. Um, and yeah, of course, A-plus watching this... What? I'm saying A-plus for creativity. Exactly. I really enjoyed watching the stupid fucking hippies get the fuck beat out of them, as they deserved it. Like, And I like it how... I, I found Sadie to be the most annoying of them, and yeah. I feel like she got at the worst. I feel like well, it's kind of a toss up between her and um the other girl, really. Oh yeah, getting her face back. That being said, though, I feel like being torched to death would not. Uh, she, not was too, she was too giddy to do this, you know. When she starts laughing, like let's get those pickies. You know? Exactly, exactly. That's that was it was that right there. I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be really fucking annoying. And then they, you know. She gets the can thrown at her face, attacked by a dog, and then for the cherry on top, burned to a fucking crisp. Okay, wait a second. When I was squinting through my eyes, I heard a gunshot, what it sounded like a gunshot, and then I saw Brad Pitt fall to the 
floor, and I thought he was dead. So what happened there? I'm confused by that too. He, she didn't hit him, or did did he pass out from the knife? What was the loud noise? It sounded like passed. she did. She did no, fire she, a gun. She picked up the yeah. She picked up the gun that um that text dropped. So did but, he get shot in the leg or something? No, he didn't get shot in the because he had the. The knife was already in his leg. Well, he ends up he getting on the ambulance. Out. Why does he get go on the ambulance? What happened to him? Because he got stabbed. Because he got stabbed in the leg. Stabbed. He got stabbed. He had a knife deep in his leg. That's why he smashed the dumb ginger fuck's face. Yeah, because when he because when he when he touched it and really he he realized he didn't feel anything. And she realized it too, and then that's when he gave her that kind of that look. Yeah, there's like a moment fucked. of silence. And he grabs her hair and starts bashing around the fucking room. Hmm. Which yeah. almost kind of put me in the mind frame of when James Gandolfini beats the shit out of Patricia Arquette in True Romance. So. Guys, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Just keep talking, okay? Yeah, I edit all that out. Okay. So yeah. Don't take your hard piss right now. Alright, I'm not going to mess up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, it, the way he did that, because... You know the the previews and and everything. It kind of like okay, it's gonna build up to the whole, you know, Sharon Tate murder and everything like that. And then, no, it doesn't go that way. It goes to where the murderers, the ones that get murdered. Yeah, exactly. And it well, what I really love about that scene though is Brad Pitt and I, everything that <laughs> everything that comes out of his mouth. Before he starts beating the fuck out of them, is it's one of the funniest things Tarantino's ever written. Like it, that whole sequence is genius. But like the fact that like Brad Pitt is just high off his ass, talking to these people as if they're not about to try and kill him, it like displays how cool Cliff Booth is. But mm-hmm. it's also just really funny at the same time because you know that. He's just tripping balls. All these stupid hippies are pointing knives at him. It's it's great. Especially when he when he recognized, he's like, I remember you. I remember <laughs> your pale face. Yeah, he's like, you were on, <laughs> <laughs> on a horsey. You were on a horsey. What was funny about it? He remembered them, but they didn't remember him. Yeah. That's what freaked him out even more because that was six months ago, but he still remembered them, but they had no clue who the hell he was. Uh, Texas law. So. But I don't, I don't see Austin Butler playing freaking Elvis. I really Elvis. Don't. No, I think it's weird as fuck. Yeah, yeah. But at least yeah, I know yeah. who that is now. <laughs> yeah. But but if you if you look at his IMDb picture, he doesn't look like Tex at all. So it's like doesn't look like Elvis okay. or Tex, right? Yeah, it don't. So it, it's it's kind of weird. Yes. But um, all right, take you back, Chantel. Yes, I'm back. All right, so uh, what what do you think about how they kind of you know flip the ending on us and everything like that? Oh, did I not say? Um, yeah, no, definitely. Glad it went the way it did. Like, I know it was afterwards, I was kind of arguing with you a little bit. Not arguing, but I didn't understand it. I was like, how can they do that if it didn't happen? 
if so what does that mean and just that Sharon Tate never died so is that what that means then and then in their universe Sharon Tate never died in their universe yeah, Sharon Tate never died yeah no that's definitely nice it was funny like I said I, I had to squint and watch it but um, definitely thought it was interesting creative kind of like just like in Glorious Bastards like you said um so is that the only time he's ever done that though just those two instances I guess he doesn't really do movies that feature, you know, real people, does he? Yeah. Just a couple times. No, yeah, just those two times. Um, or whatnot. So, uh, Christian, um, you said you wanted to bring up something about the ending, ending with yes. the finale. With okay, so all right. Go ahead. Okay, so early in the movie, um, Rick mentions that with. You know, he's living next door to Roman Polanski and he's hoping that his career will be boosted because he's living next door to the director of Rosemary's Baby, which was Roman Polanski's big break at that point in time. And the end of the movie, he, uh, Rick Dalton is talking to Jay Sebring about everything that has just went down at his house, which is really funny when, you know, somebody says it out loud. Um, but, uh, Sharon Tate, you know, buzzes in on the buzzer, and she's like, hey, come up and have a drink with us. And, you, you know, you kind of just get the sense that at the end of the movie, he's going to become friends with Sharon Tate, and Rick Dalton's career is going to thrive. Right. But, what? You're saying right. Yeah. Yeah. But, at the, uh, right after Rick Dalton walks into her house, the words Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes up. And the reason why, I mean, of course it's the name of the movie, but it's to display that the whole thing was essentially a Hollywood fairy tale in more ways than one. And the way I see it is, it honestly kind of, in a strange way, Stands up Roman Polanski because Roman Polanski, you know, he fucked that 13 year old girl years after Sharon Tate's death, which, mind you, he probably might have done that anyways. But at the same time, if Sharon Tate is still alive, perhaps that wouldn't have happened. Like, have you seen Polanski in Unauthorized? I haven't. Oh, it's a no, stupid question because nobody has seen that shit. I only saw it because I worked at the movie gallery and because I wanted Wait, to... is it Roman Polanski wanted and desired? No, it's Roman Polanski, Roman Polanski unauthorized. It's about, okay. like, controversial life of Roman Polanski, but it's yeah. not very good. And in that, he kind of says shit like, you know, this only happened because he was drinking and on drugs and in mourning of Sharon, but it's kind of... A stretch, considering she died years, like ten years. Certain, it is a stretch, but I feel like Tarantino, with that ending, is kind of, you know, he's leaving us with a thought, like how different would these lives have been had Sharon Tate lived? Like, had, would would her career have really taken off? Would her plans be what? Most people think her career would have been, like, sensational. People that yeah. worked with her anyways uh, thought that. But, I mean, of course, well, anybody would say that's nice, right? Huh? Think, think, think about this. Okay, so let, let, let's let's go from this universe of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Rick does everything he do. 
he becomes friends with Roman Polanski and everything. So this happened in 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1971, he directs Macbeth. Macbeth. And are you going to ask what movies... What Roman Polanski movie? Well, Rick Dalton have been in. Well, I I know one particular, and that came out in 1974. I know just the one. What was called? Movie called China Time. I was thinking the same thing. Rick Dalton as Jack. Yeah, yeah, that Jack. Yeah, not not Jack Nicholson. Um, but um, but yeah, Rick Dalton as Jack Giddies and how about Sharon Tate? As the Faye Dunway character, exactly. It's really interesting. Like you, like you think of the movie as a fairy tale, and yet you can start like putting pieces together of how these movies would have turned out had a Rick Dalton been a real person, and B had Sharon Tate lived. Like it really. And what about their son? Like, she was pregnant mm. at the time of her murder. Yeah. Like, exactly. would their son have amounted to something great? I kind of feel like she probably would have been continuously typecast as a sexy blonde. And because of that, she may not have ever, like, launched a serious career. Because but if you see been, some of her movies... She would have been starring in his movies. Yeah, uh-huh. in his movies, yeah, but... I don't know, because I'm not saying she can't act, but I feel like a lot of the performances... And movies like that, like old movies, are kind of forced and corny. That's just the way movies are. I'm not saying she can't act. I'm just saying from what I saw. Uh, yeah, I get where you're coming from. It's just like, oh my, you know, like, oh dearie, and shit like that. It was it, a different time. But that's in the sixties. But that's in the sixties. But, like but like we said earlier. But like we said earlier, that's that was the sixties, and she represents the innocence that basically killed and. You know, the innocence mm-hmm. is is gone. The hippie movement basically died at that moment too because you know that's what they just... the Manson family were hippies. Exactly. So you know all that kind of happens, and then you start getting these real gritty movies that start coming out in the seventies. I mean, hell, Rolling Thunder came out in seventy seven. That's a gritty ass movie, but it's a I gritty movie. It was a gritty as better, hell. I mean, Movies were definitely, like, there were definitely some dark movies in the 60s. You got Midnight Cowboy, you got Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, but yeah, it's like the 70s was a big turn. That was a 60s movie? Still in black and white in the 60s? Well, I guess Psycho was in black and white, but I think it was for a reason. Yeah, I I think in some cases it was, like, deliberate, or I don't know, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, you got Deliverance in, what, 70s? (laughs) Yeah. Ugh. Which, by the way, I didn't know if you all were aware of this. I'm going to go next Thursday. But Apocalypse Now, the final cut. It's going to be an IMAX. So, what the hell's the final cut? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. I mean, the Redux version is... Well, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, how the fuck? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> this is what Francis Ford is doing at this time. Whatever, I'll see. But the movie, the movie that almost killed him, he he's trying. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, he's still working on it. I mean, I, it's oh whatever. But it's gonna be uh, ten hours long. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it'll yeah. still be great. Um, but you know, like we mentioned, how Sharon Tate would probably be in his movies, not Francis Ford Coppola's, Roman Polanski's. Um, 
but at the same time, like, like Kevin Smith's wife's or, wife is in his movies, and she's not an angel. Polanski's current wife is in his movies. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Polanski's wife? Yeah. I don't know who she is. She is. She was in the movie Frantic with Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. directed yeah, by yeah. Roman Polanski. Yeah. Um, that's how they met, and she's been with him ever since. That was in like the late '80s. Whatever happened to uh, Linda Carter? That's a shame. What? Linda Carter. Oh yeah. Wait, wasn't she the one who played? No, maybe I'm mistaken. I'm thinking of the one from Terminator. Linda Hamilton. Yeah, her. Linda Carter was Wonder Woman, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're both bad bitches. It's okay. Um, but yeah, Robin Polanski's current wife is in his movies still. Like, I, he only really makes foreign movies these days, but she's French, so it works. Yeah. Uh, she was in The Ninth Gate. I don't know if you all ever saw that. Mm-hmm. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit on the clunkier yeah. side of Roman Polanski's career, but I find it. Yeah, she's French. I think that she's the one that joined up, you know, ends up riding around with in the movie. Yeah. Pretty gorgeous. Yeah. I saw another movie with her and Peter Coyote. It was actually really strange. And Hugh Grant. You should check it out. That's a, that's a random cast. Jesus. It God. is. You know. Christina, um, Peter Coyote and, and yeah, yeah Chris, and it was Kristen Scott Thomas too. It was very oh, strange. Oh, but yeah, you should check it out. It feels yeah. like a Lifetime movie when you watch it, but it's pretty sexy. There's like a lot of weird, exotic sex shit in there, and it's pretty weird. Okay, it's old though. I don't so it's basically like Nymphomaniac or something. Sort of. It's like oh, I can't even get it. It's like just her, her and Peter Coyote. I, I, I do not. I do not want to see Hugh Grant in some weird exotic sex. No, no. Peter Coyote. <laughs> it's basically like... I want to see Peter Coyote in weird exotic sex either. No, he's just being told a story by Peter Coyote about the sex life he used to have with his wife before he was um, is, an invalid, basically. Is the movie Bitter Moon? Mm-hmm. It's a Roman Polanski movie. Um, Alright, before we wrap this up... um. Since I kind of left him for last, really, um, what do we all think of Brad Pitt's performance? Um, it was stuffy. <clears throat> I haven't seen a Brad Pitt movie in what feels like a long time. What was the last movie he did before this? Well, if you don't count that Netflix uh, War Machine, uh, I don't. Which was not, not great. Um, I started it, but I never finished it. So let's tell you how good it is. Oh, um, <clears throat> Uh, I mean, Fury was actually pretty good. I actually liked it better than I thought it would. Well, um, I like movies that take place at wartime, but... I'm pleased for his success. Um, I don't like Angelina Jolie, and I felt like he needed something to skyrocket him back to the top after that ugly divorce. And I'm pleased that... What, you don't think so? You like Angelina Jolie? No, I'm just... No, I mean, I don't have too much of a problem with it, but at the same time, I just... I kind of get tired of, like, anytime Brad Pitt name is brought up, it's either, at this point, it's either Angelina Jolie, or it's always going to be freaking Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't going to go with Jennifer Aniston. I feel like um, he needed something to make, I don't know, maybe take his mind off of everything. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just feel like this looks good for him, I think. It does. Honestly, I feel like if she saw this movie, she'd be really turned on, because... 
he is so Brad has this certain charisma and confidence in this movie. I don't get to get her back. I feel yeah. like she should probably. No, I know exactly. Because what's like, I think she'd be super jealous. She's not if doing it. Saw him in this movie because this is. I honestly, I have never enjoyed him more in a movie. No, and I loved him in Burn after reading, and I, um, I think. What? What? Were you gonna no, say? I was just gonna. I was just gonna. No, I was just gonna say that. I feel like this is the first time, as long as he's been acting, I think this is the first time, and this is this even includes Fury. And that's, that's kind of one reason why I brought up Fury. I think this is the first time in Brad Pitt's career, at 55 years old, this is the first time in his career, where he's looked at as a badass in a movie. Exactly. He really, you don't hear the term movie star as often yeah. as you used to. Mm-hmm. And yet he really displays that in this movie. And he's never been more charming or likable. Hey, he or, looks great. Yeah, honest to God. Oh, well, yeah, he hasn't aged a fucking day, really. It's crazy. He really is, but, he really is Benjamin Button, okay? Yeah, he really is. But I I think he's a shoe-in for an Oscar nomination. I wouldn't be remotely surprised. Uh, I, I agree. He has my vote, honestly. And I, I think, I think, uh, I think Christian Bale might give him a run for best supporting actor with Ford versus. I Ferrari. do. Oh God, that's gonna be so good. Did you just say Ford versus yeah. Ferrari? Yes. Is that a thing? Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Who won? Ford or you gotta watch the movie to find. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, so I'm not gonna look into it. <laughs> but you gotta watch the movie to find. Is it out yet? That's no, like November. It doesn't come out till November. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I... like in terms of the Oscar race, again, we cannot count out the Irishman, but I mean, they really left Scorsese in the dark on Silence, so you never know. But this one seems like it'll have more of an award season run. So, I guess we'll find out. But, yeah, I Brad Pitt is so good in this movie. And it's like a beautiful marriage between Brad Pitt's great acting and Quentin Tarantino's great writing that makes this character work as well as it does. So, saying all that, I'm going to throw this whole... Um wrench into the mix here. Okay. What if um what if Brad Pitt didn't play this and it was actually Tom Cruise? Who Quentin Tarantino originally wanted. Really? Yeah. That could work too, I guess. I, like I think it'd be great. How could that work? He he too damn short. Okay. <laughs> and I like Tom Cruise. Well but, but look look but he does when you some look at shit so it kinda works. No, I'm saying as playing Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt man. He's too short. Well, so that's what Quentin Tarantino said. Okay, Quentin Tarantino said that he really did want Tom Cruise for this movie, but he needed a duo that was really going to match. And so once he got Leonardo DiCaprio, he kind of abandoned the Tom Cruise idea. Yeah. But you got to think, though, Tom Cruise is thought of as an action star, not really Brad Pitt so much. And he does his own stunt work, which is why I feel like he'd be an ideal choice. When I heard that Tom Cruise was in the running for that movie, I was hyped as fuck. 
because I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan, and I think he needs a role like this that will bring him back. Like, I think he should have won an Oscar for Magnolia, but alas, they make stupid choices. Um, and I just think he needs, he needs to kind of drift away from the action movies, which he's very good at, no doubt, but he needs an actual role. No disrespect. I don't think he would be, you know, in any movie that would put him second, possibly, to another character, though, so maybe that's why it wouldn't work out with him. He's done it. He's already done it. He did it, well... He technically did it to Brad Pitt in a interview with the vampire. Oh well, that was a long time. Tropic ago. Thunder. In the nineties, Tropic Thunder was supposed to be a secret film, technically. Yeah, but yeah. Well, that yeah. is the more interesting character anyway. So that's why because he steals all the that feet. Is the shit. Yeah. <laughs> but still, I mean, he's still technically second to. Oh yeah, technically Brad Pitt. But I think he prefers the more interesting characters and. I know, Cliff Booth is a more interesting character. Just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Though I think... Uh, uh, yeah. I think Rick I mean, Dalton, Dalton is interesting, but... Yeah, he's interesting, yeah. but, but Cliff is the more... Because besides... Okay, Rick Dalton is basically, like we said, he's XYZ of old actors that we kind of pinpoint. Mm-hmm. Cliff Booth is a man of his own, in a way. Right. You know, he, he, he doesn't really... I mean, yeah, we say Steve McQueen, but outside of that, who else could he really be? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, okay, so, I mean, we basically, I think we did this episode probably as long as the movie. Is That's actually. what um, I was actually thinking. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, so to wrap this up, um, before we get out of here, of course, um, out of out of five, uh, what would you rate this movie? Uh, start with you, Chantel. I don't see any reason not to give it a five. Well, so five four and a half. Five. It was a little bit too long for my taste. So four and a half. Okay, but this is a tangent. Falling asleep doesn't help things either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you know, making a three-hour movie in a movie theater when you're tired doesn't help. Yeah, but it's a consistently entertaining three-hour movie. I'm just so, saying, I fucked up. I should have taken a nap beforehand, but I was afraid if I took a nap before the movie, I wouldn't want to wake up and go, so... And uh, Jay, everybody I, bought their tickets, so I had to go. I've been there. Well, I was going either way, but... Yeah, well, Hans bought our tickets beforehand, so we had to go. Yeah. Uh, Christian, your rating? I give it a five. Um, and I say this with... Okay, so I do think it's a great movie, thing about Quentin Tarantino's movies, though, is that I've seen them all, and I love most of them, yet I need some time to, like, in terms of, like, deciding where I'd rank it among the others, I need to give it more time to cherish it. You know, like, I just now recently was able to rank The Hateful Eight. It's been four years, but I finally decided where I'd put that among the spectrum of his other movies, this one will also require some time, but I do think it's great. Um, and I would easily say this is my favorite one so far. I know everyone in the world will disagree, but it's still my personal favorite. My personal favorite is, and I I rewatched most of them recently, and I, you're gonna be surprised. I, I'm going with Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Because of Hugo's. I like that one a lot. There's just too many subtitles for me. Hugo's. It's it's a masterpiece. My God, it's so good. Yeah, but she literally has Brad Pitt say at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very fitting. (laughs) He's not wrong. I do think it's his masterpiece. It's so well crafted and funny and nuts, and it's again. With like most of his movies, it, it's pure Tarantino. Yeah. Well, movies always lose um, points for being too long and having subtitles for me because with the amount of drinking I put in, you know, I can't drink and watch a movie with fucking constant subtitles. But he 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 was true to yeah, which I liked about it. He, that if, it if, if they were German, I'm just saying. If they were German. And they was only German. They spoke German. I, if they were French and they were only French, they spoke well, French. Like, and then you had some character who could speak both, which was um, freaking Christoph yeah. Waltz. He spoke every language. I also will say that Hans Landa is the best character he's created. Yeah, sure. It's the, it's the best character he's done. And mind you, I love Cliff Booth and Rick, and Rick Dalton, but it's uh, Hans Landa is a tough one to beat. Yeah, ask me. Well, Hans, like, could you imagine? Okay, you know Leo. He originally wanted Leo. Yeah, the to be uh, Hans Landa, which I, yeah. I don't know how that would have worked. I feel like it would have taken away from the authenticity of Hans Landa's character. Yeah. But because Christoph, well, I could have seen him. Brilliant. I could have seen him be over the top. I could too. Especially that scene toward the end where like. It's bingo. That's how you say it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bingo. bingo. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah, so good. That was fun. But um, for me, my personal favorite is actually Jackie. I Brown. love Jackie Brown. It's so good and it's so underrated. And it's kind of the same reason that, just like with Kevin Smith, my personal favorite of his is actually Chasing Amy, and it's for the same reason. <laughs> Those movie, that movie, um, Chasing Amy and Jackie Brown, are both directors' most, I would say, grown up movies. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 the most one that feels like an adult actually did. Is whereas their other movies, it feels like this is from the mind of like, you know, a kid who grew up and wanted to do this. Or you know, what I mean? feel it, yeah. It yeah. So, but with with Chasing Amy for Kevin Smith and um, Jackie Brown with Tarantino. It feels like this is an adult type movie. Mm-hmm. Jackie, I, and I've always that. loved Jackie Brown. I don't know. Yeah. I think it gets a bad rep because it came out like three years after Pulp Fiction. And yeah. if you go into Jackie Brown expecting Pulp Fiction, you're not gonna get it. What you get though is a collaboration of two brilliant writers, those being Quentin Tarantino and Elmore Leonard at play, and the, the screenplay is great, I, and the acting is great. I always, yeah, I think it's very underrated. I mean, I still say that, even though it's Jackie Brown, Pam Grier is the title character, but I feel like it's really Odell Roby's uh, movie. Oh, he's brilliant, in, in Samuel Jackson. Odell Roby oh. is scary as fuck. But he's also really funny. I am really my favorite character in that movie is um, Bridget Fonda's. <laughs> I, I wish she would come out of retirement. 
I think she honestly steals a good part of the show. I really, uh, we're getting off topic, but not really. I, I, it's very early in the movie. Uh, they're all sitting around the living room, and he's like, get the phone. She's like, you're closer. He's like, don't make me put my foot in your ass. And she gets up, <laughs> she picks it up and goes, it's for you. And she doesn't even, like, she doesn't even listen to who it is. She just knows. But I, I don't know. I just really like that character for some reason. But... And then he, Tarantino gets Robert De Niro to technically play a nothing role, but because of De Niro, he makes that role be more... Exactly. Like, <laughs> the part where she's randomly like, do you want to fuck? He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's just so fucking weird. Yeah, I, like I, I did not need to see old man no. with that damn no. Ron Jeremy mustache. Yeah, I know, right? I but uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, but oh, uh, all right. So let's yeah, let's wrap this up. Um, okay. So real quick, outside of Cliff Booth, who we pretty much is saying is our favorite character, but if you had to pick somebody else. And I'll, I'll take, to make it even more interesting, take Rick Dalton out of the recording. Okay, too. yeah. That's... Who would be your favorite character outside of the two main characters? Ah. Uh, I mean, well, I think Sharon Tate is wonderful. Um, but it's, I, I, I don't know. I really like, I like, I, I think Pussycat leaves quite an impression. Uh, I don't. Well, we do, well, we do like pussy. Yeah, we, yeah. We just love. <laughs> I, I love that movie. Like, yes, we do. I like her. Which, I don't know what it is about her exactly, but I just, I just thought of something. You know that line where when they ride in the car, when she was like, "You want me to give you your head while you drive? You suck your cock while yeah. you drive." Yeah. And he's uh, like, he's like, how? He's like, how old are you? It's like. You got some. You got a drive license to say that, you know, whatnot. And she, you know, they kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's like it kind of made me think: Is this kind of a jab at Roman Polanski? It, ooh, it could be. Yeah, yeah, I could see that because I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about the girl that Roman Polanski fucked, but at the same time, like, could have been a could have been a very similar situation. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's interesting for sure. Especially when he said it, but I just say, well, you don't have a driver's license to confirm that you are your age. So he said, if I'm going to go to jail, it damn for sure ain't going to be over no damn phone tang. Yeah. Chantel, you, your favorite character, not named Rick or Cliff Booth. Uh, maybe Bruce Lee. I thought the devil scene was great. It was he's kind of sexy too a little bit. I also liked how he does the shit. Yeah, I thought it was kind of. And and Cliff does it. (laughs) It was one of my more favorite. It was one of my favorite parts. So uh yeah, just that little scene there alone. Or Brewster, he's always such a old grumpy bastard. I like I like (laughs) he's been an old grumpy bastard. (laughs) Which I mean. Chantel, you have to watch the like the documentaries to see more about it. Because actually, all that stuff did happen. Them girls actually was having sex with that really? man. Really? Okay, because I was not yes. sure. I've seen lots of documentaries about the man's family, but I have only heard a couple of things about the man that owned the ranch, and none of it was sexual. I thought that he pretty much just ignored them and let them do whatever they wanted as long as they stayed out of his hair. Then, then, 
No, they he he really was blind, and they really was having that was basically payment for them being on the. So he wanted to say it seems very strange. I fucked his brains out earlier. Oh, that look! And then that look she gave Brad Pitt too, like. It's like, ugh, you look grungy as hell, girl. Like, yeah. It's a good thing that George He's Bramble gotta be like, what, 85 years old? Can he even get an erection at that age? I oh. was wondering the same thing. And he's blind? Like, how does that... Yeah. How do you hear me? I say that I'm blind. <laughs> do you think I know the color of the hair of the, of the girls <laughs> being with me? <laughs> so good. George. I'm, we used to work together. We used to work. I used to find Bond and Lockheed. I was the <gasps> Dalton stunt double. I don't know why I like that scene so much because it's 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 sad, but at the same time, it's it funny. is. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Um, for me, I probably have to go with um. Even though he has a small part too, but I probably go with um. What's his name? Um. The um. Apple yeah. Because uh, it was it was just is like opportunity just showed up and just was like a cool you know playing an old Jewish guy producer or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Schwartz, no, it's Swartz. Okay, Mr. Schwartz. Well, yeah. I like I like that because he he even though he's a huge name, but he didn't he didn't distract from the movie. You kind of forget that he was exactly. You do. You do. So so yeah, I go with I go with Marvin Swartz. Okay. Good stuff. Alright, all right. so that's pretty much it. Uh, so this is Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 TV's own podcast. Um, <laughs> basically, that's what we just did here. Um, so, of course, uh, thank you guys for joining me on this episode. It's been fun talking about this movie. It has. Uh, is, there, is there anything you guys would like to plug before we get out of here? You can follow us on Twitter at PreferredoPod. I'm uh, going to plug the fan in and go to sleep. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Yeah, we'll do our show tomorrow. The next day. Yeah, I'm sorry. I love this movie and it's always, it's a great topic of conversation. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I didn't plan on yeah, doing this, this damn near length of the whole Seriously, thing. I can't oh. take the time before we started doing this podcast. There's just a lot to talk about with this movie, and, and there's a lot of stuff we didn't talk about. Exactly. Well, it's like it's Quentin Tarantino's most thoughtful movie, and by that I mean he put a lot of heart and thought into it, and yet mm-hmm. it also provokes thought when it's over. And yeah, yeah. I mean the two biggest things that people are talking about from the movie is the whole Bruce Lee thing. And then the ending. Yeah. Because I think some people actually was going into this movie to see Sharon Tate get killed. Yeah. I really do. And they, I think some people was disappointed that they did not see that. <laughs> and that's kind of ridiculous. But Maybe someday, so. you know, they will get their... You know, honestly, perhaps the most accurate, disturbing depiction of that I've seen was on American Horror Story. Uh the seventh yeah. season involved yeah, that. Cult. Yeah, yeah, cult. Yeah. yeah, they did it. Um, yeah, I mean, but if you, if anyone who was disappointed and didn't get to see Sharon J. Kill, I mean, watch uh, Health to Skepta with uh, Jeremy Davis as uh, as a uh, Charles. Exactly. Yeah. 
There, there's plenty of stuff that you can watch that, that mm-hmm. talks about that. Okay. So, yeah. So that's it for us here. Um, another TV Zone podcast movie edition. We're kind of doing more of those. Actually. I know. I'm actually doing. Uh, yeah. I think this is like the sixth or the seventh one officially. But um, but yeah. So we'll be back uh, respectively on our own shows, I'm sure, um, or whatnot, because you guys got to finish Big Little Lies. Uh, me and Chantel, we basically gave up on Stranger Things. I'm sorry, Did we? So what happened? Yeah, because I never even posted the, the last episode that we did. Really? <laughs> what the fuck? I had no idea. Uh, I was wondering because like, I was like, oh, wasn't I supposed to have a show with him yesterday? Yeah, I thought of it earlier, but uh, it's no big deal. So we kind of gave up on it. I'm sorry, folks, because we did have a lot. I mean, we could always do like one episode. Just oh, to talk we were about almost done anyways. There's only like what two episodes left. One yeah. episode. Well, three. Three. Whatever. We were more than halfway done. So. Yeah, yeah, we was all. So I mean, we could do like one episode just to talk about the most important stuff for the last couple of episodes and, or whatnot. Okay. If you want. Whatever you want. Yeah. All right. So that is all. And peace out. Thanks. The time to hesitate is through No time to wallow in the mire Try now we can only lose And our love become a funeral pile Come on baby, light my fire Come on baby, light my fire Shiny set the night on For you